That's right. And here's the, oh my gosh, it feels like football season's almost here, but baseball's for dummies edition. Wise guy. Face to face with Fez. But I got my board back. My board was broke. Showtime! Woo! I mean, I had this other $3,000 one, but this one, I got all my favorites. So how long till we hear this? Oh. There we go. Bananas. All right, we got a jam-packed show. Baseball, shortened season. Players dominating. And we'll talk about how much luck there'd be in such a shortened season. NBA, impact playing in Orlando. Daryl Morey talking smack. Maybe trying to save his job if they don't win the title. We got an underrated, under-the-radar injury in the NFL. It's with a contending team. You don't want to bet the NFL without thinking about how big this injury was. Fez says... The WNBA, Fez says, is going to be maybe the most profitable, at least expectations-wise, it ever has been. And Fez has made a lot of money in the WNBA, and a lot of the listeners and followers have made a lot of money. Why is it different this year? He and I, bonus pick, bonus, NBA long shot. Mine's much better than his, and let me tell you, I don't think you can hear me. My odds are actually better than his, so I'm gonna bet him if he's willing to do it. And but I'm gonna get some extra, you know, some extra little something out of it. We'll see. <clears throat> All right, Fez, you back? I'm here. Awesome. Additionally, your normal best bet, the Hitman and Diamond Dave Esler, Uncle Dave to some, and the NBA specifically. And we'll roll this in, I think, to the impact in Orlando with Kyrie and you know those who don't seem so excited to play basketball for millions of dollars. And Colin Kaepernick odds. Will he be on a roster? All right, let's do it. Showtime! Woo! Baseball. So let's do a little bit of, let's talk a little bit about the business side of it. And to me, the significance of this is how much the players have dominated the owners. We've talked about this at length on Straight Out of Vegas, and the question I keep asking that nobody seems to have an answer to, because there is no answer, is the idea that the owners, though billionaires, though assholes, mostly, I think it's fair to say, they've now been matched. The players have become like the owners. What do I mean? It means they're equally disregarding of the fans. And through that disregard of the fans, the players have dominated this negotiation. In the simplest sense, the players haven't moved. They signed an agreement in March that had some stuff to find and some stuff not. The assumption was, hmm, worst case, we have 48 games at full pay. Now, a lot of people might say, wait a minute, RJ. That doesn't seem fair. Full pay? There's no one in the stands. There's no concessions. There's no parking. What's StubHub going to do? Oh, wait. And <laughs> you're right. But somehow, the players have positioned it like, I don't give a care about your problems. Pay me. 
pay me. We had an agreement back in March, and never mind that supposedly maybe we have to make an adjustment to that. And let's be clear, New York, New York Post reported, and it's hard to know exactly. There was an email, and the email was to the union, and the email was pretty explicit, and like the assumption was there was a renegotiation if there wasn't going to be fans. It looks like that's what was the case, but it's certainly not like 100% proof. Mm-hmm. We don't know. What we know is that this has been the negotiation. Players, 100% please. Owners, something, blah, blah, blah. Players, 100% please. Owners, hmm, what about this? 100% please. Ad nauseum. And let's give credit where credit's due. They're playing a game of chicken, and one party doesn't swerve because they don't care. They, they figure they're fine. Who cares about the fans? That's what the players seem to figure because literally what they said no to was instead of 48 games, which was the kind of the default from the March agreement, they said, huh, you want us to play mm, 72 or so? Well, how much are we going to make? 30% more? So you're saying we could play 48 or play 72 but we make 30% more playing 72, but that's more than 30% more games. So F you. The fans, who? Who? I mean, literally, they haven't moved an inch. And somehow the owners have screwed this up so much that even the default worst case only break with glass in an emergency plan, (laughs) they're going to get it worse than that. You might say, why worse? How do you do worse than 100 cents? On the dollar, no discount, no haircut, as Fez likes to say, to confuse people. It's because if the owners are losing, as everyone seems to agree, the amount we can debate, but if owners are losing per game, they want to play less regular season games. They're just a means to an end. The end is the postseason. But somehow 48 isn't what they're going to play, it seems, because... Somehow they didn't negotiate that if you do execute this agreement that you can't assume there's or you can't then file a grievance. If you're signing and saying, yes, let's move forward. By the way, we're complaining. Well, you just signed. How can you be complaining? Their lawyers apparently couldn't pull that off. So now they got to give more games back to get rid of the grievance. And it'd be like, a, in theory, a billion-dollar grievance. Ugh. But, hey, anyone that enjoys, like, Edgy, kind of lo-fi cartoons. Home movies is a great one. And co- anyone that's seen home movies knows Coach McGurk. And <laughs> one of the kids was putting on weight. It wasn't Jason. Oh, Jason. He's great. It was, uh, what's that dude's name? The, the filmmaker one. These kids are like eight years old. But... He starts putting on weight, and Coach McGurk's fat, like a fat dude. And one day he walks up and says, McGurk says, welcome to the club. He says, what? The fat club. He goes, you're in it. He goes, once you're in it, you never get out of it. And, and I want to say welcome to the club that the, that the players are now as oblivious to the pain of the fans, especially in a pandemic. Who cares? I'm a millionaire. I play baseball. Why would I care about pandemics literally you're as egregious in disregarding the fans as the owners and you've beat them at their own game congratulations
the owners, every expectation was that they were, they'd been stalling, that this was going to be a very much shortened season. I got to be honest. Remember, I'm, they're only stalling if they don't didn't get the players to take a discount on the full salary. If you lose every game, you, cash, you don't make it up in volume. Right? <laughs> yes. So they want to do less. Now, why not none? Because they want to get the postseason because then they make money. So they want to minimize the losses but make it be a, a valid regular season. Players, because they're taking 100 cents on the dollar, would rather play more games. I totally agree with you that once it got past the point where it was obvious the players weren't going to go below 100 cents on the dollar or no discount, then the owners wanted, I don't know if it's stalling as much as, we're not going to play any more games than we have to. But then the grievance threat is what's driving the number being above of games above 48. Yeah, and this grievance threat really carried a punch because I had every expectation we were going to get 48 to 52 types of games. The fact we're going to get 60 games for a season, wow. I, I just think the players got everything that they were looking for, and I'm shocked by it. Wow. I mean, what, what part's shocking you? The fact that we're going to play 60-plus games. No, I, I resigned but myself I, to only 50. But what I'm saying is the analysis of it is that the owners left open somehow through their negligence, it seems legally, the, the opportunity for the players to file a grievance. And you might say, RJ, isn't that the right to file the grievance? Well, think about this. Yes, except if you're going to sign a deal. Imagine hiring someone. Imagine getting married. Now, marriage is a legal binding contract. A lot of people, that's the problem, right? It's love and contracts don't necessarily go together, but they do when you have to share money. And, you know, I get it. I get why, you know, whoever has less money wants protection. It's only fair. But it is a contract. Imagine the night before the wedding. She's like, I'm not sure. Cold feet. And she's like, starts negotiating. <laughs> You know, maybe we should go to Carmel two times a month, not just one. You know, we get free rooms. It's better than Billy Walter's place. You know what I'm saying. And then finally through just digging as deep as possible to giving up everything, kidneys, pride, she says yes, fast to you. And... Somehow your lawyer called, texted you and said, remember, though, she was talking about wanting to file a grievance, a lawsuit against you. Now that you're getting married, you got to make sure that doesn't happen. And she says, oh, no, no, no. Right after the ceremony, the minute they say you may kiss the bride, I'm going to kiss you, but I'm going to break it off quick because i got to text my lawyer to file those papers. But we already have had an agreement. We're going to Carmel all this time. and well, all this She'll still go to Carmel. The, the player, where and when, baby. Those were your grievances. We addressed all your grievances. Well, what are these other grievances? Well, that's a good way to say it. The, the, the assumption of the agreement is that the grievances have been addressed. But somehow the lawyers couldn't figure that one out. This is not trying to take anyone's rights away. It's saying you can't have your cake and eat it too unless you're the players, apparently. <laughs> ah, all right. So anything else? You got some math on this. You got anything else otherwise? I got the math. All right, I think I should do the math. But how's this on? I'll let you do the math, but I'll save you as many times as necessary. Let's see. 
All righty. So assuming a 60-game season, pretty interesting. I went ahead and took a look at an average, very good MLB team. You're off to a hot start. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> going to win about 60% of the time. How do they come up with 60%? Now they win about 97 games. So over a— I couldn't hear you over the car. So we're calling—is that an elite team? Yeah, I'd say elite team. Every year, that'd be about two or three teams would be expected to win, you know, over now, 97 That's interesting. Games. So how good is this elite team, a team that is going to be either usually the second best or third best team in the league? Yes. And they're going to win 60% of their games. Now, an average team is average, so they win half their games. Right. So over the course of a 60-game season, how many games is that superior or elite team going to be above the average team? Six-game differential. Six. All right. Six. <laughs> now, if we go to 162, how many games? A little over 16. That's a lot more, huh? It is. How would you quantify that? <laughs> <laughs> by 16-6, it's, it's larger. But where it's, I, it's larger. Well, what I Correct. quantified it Correct. is that— Wait, let, Hold on a second. I got to check. <laughs> I mean, I got my calculator back here. One second. <laughs> Yeah. Obviously, we head into the law of large numbers. Oh, the su- law of large numbers. Such that the team that is significantly better is a much bigger favorite to win the division versus an average team than they in a full season than in a 60-game season. Okay, because every game they have a chance to exert their superiority. Yes. So if they had a million-game season, it would be even better. They win every time. Continue. All right, so I thought to myself, well, uh, how am I going to benefit from this information? Yeah, we're all asking that question. Yes, and I think we're going to selectively look at divisional dogs and value what those divisional dogs, because let's face it, the inferior team, just by luck and happenstance, could well win the division in baseball this year with such a shortened season. And they could well in other years, too. Not as often because of the 160. So maybe here's the beauty of it. Maybe all the math was unnecessary. Maybe you come with the concept. Guys, whenever the reps go up, we always say sample size, right? Sample size. Well, that, there's a, that's a refrain for a reason. And that refrain is that if you think you've got the winning situation, whatever it is, if it's a game between two people, if it's a poker game, we'll get to McKenzie and you in a minute. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the more reps you have, the better chance that the superior team will win, that the luck won't make it so the inferior team wins. And it's like flipping a coin. Uh, and there's some stunning numbers with that where it's like, okay, if you flip a coin 20 times, the odds of getting like 15 or more isn't that bad. You know, I mean, it's less than 50, but yeah. But if you flip the th- coin like a thousand times to be outside, I mean, obviously it's not going to be seven, you know, 7,500 or whatever, but the idea, or I'm sorry, a thousand, obviously it wouldn't be, yeah, 750, let's say, out of the thousand flips. But it's like even being within that 45, 55 band is like massively bigger than being, like, on one hand, you're thinking, oh, it's exceeding it, you know, literally 75%, where the other one can't get past 55%. Yes. Because any you know, obviously it's the number of reps, 
but it's it for someone not steeped in statistics it's shocking as that law of big numbers as that number gets bigger how tight the band of reasonable outcomes becomes yes and then the, ex- the extreme small examples, of course, as we head into the playoffs, and we are talking about an expanded playoff uh, s- s- year where we're going to have 14 to 16 teams. If the elite teams have to win four playoff series, remember, these are going to be— So what else would it be? If you have six, I mean— Well, if it was 14, maybe they would get a bye. Yeah, yes. Okay. So that's interesting. So the best teams, you know, obviously the buys would come by best record and whatever— uh, American League, National League, I'm guessing, maybe? Yeah. Okay, so you've got a bet. Now, there's some assumptions here that if it goes one way, eh, might be a good bet, but I think it's borderline. If it goes the other, I think this thing is a really, really strong. It's almost like if the worst thing happens, it's still slightly positive. Not once it's over. I mean, the expectations. So, Fez, this is about, and the Westgate put this up, right? Yes. The expected two best teams in baseball are? Yankees and the Dodgers. And the Yankees over-under win total is? 101. Dodgers? 100. Okay, so that, that's unusual to have two teams in 100 or above, right? It is. Okay, so there, now who's the third team? The Astros were around 98. The Astros? Down to 95 now. Wh- who's third? Astros are still third. Oh, wow. So this is really, and this is an interesting prop because the prop is you can get the two best teams, Yankees, Dodgers. They haven't played in the World Series. What was it? Was it 81, right? Was that the last time? I think so. Lasorda. And you can get the other 28 teams, correct? Yes. Is baseball 30 still? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. I don't think they added teams recently. You were giving me a funny look. You just do that. I, I, didn't, I didn't know the answer. <laughs> you got to love that the guy, it goes to show you, it's, it's good that he's so honest. It's like he's not a fan. There's so many things a fan. And, and again, Steve's probably in the extremes a little bit of his obliviousness to what the fans know. But in a way... You know, there's a lot of business guys that say, I never want a guy that plays golf working for me. Because if you've got enough time to play golf, you're not working hard enough. That's the assumption. I'm not saying it's true. I Let's just say this. I don't like, in fact, I don't hire smokers typically. I mean, I wouldn't discriminate. Come on. But if someone's outside every five minutes smoking, they're not doing a lot of work. And I don't want Steve to know too much that a fan knows unless it can make me money. So in a way, this is like, hey, you want to hear how like an, eight, an eight-year-old knows how many baseball teams there is, but Steve Fezzik doesn't? And a smart guy would say, good, because you can't make no money from knowing those 30 baseball teams. So 28 and 2. But it feels like a good um, prop, meaning that it's of high interest, because we do have two dominant teams, right? And the Astros are so many question marks. Who's the fourth team? Twins at 92 wins. Oh my, the Twins? I don't think Kirby Puckett's going to have a good year. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, he's putting on weight. <laughs> now, Jack Morris. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Well, that was a hell of a series. God, baseball. Oh, oomph. 
So we figured, or you figured, that 60% is about 97 wins. There'd be about, on average, two or three teams doing that a year. Here, the numbers say two, right? Mm -hmm. And you figure, how's that team going to do in the playoffs? Now, the playoffs, here's the key point. Right now, the theory is the playoffs are either 14 games or teams or 16, correct? Yes. The key is if you're betting against the Yankees and the Dodgers, you want them to play that fourth series. You don't want them to have a bye. You got to give Westgate credit for mitigating this. You know, they don't know the answer to this either, right? Yeah, they don't even know the parameters, and they have this prop up, which I like because if you if no one knows, you split the difference. You know, whatever you think the chances are, and then you move it on the information. Now that's the question: Are they going to move it on the information? Can you beat them to the punch, right? Because if it comes out sixteen, the math says, Lordy B. Even if we assume extremely positive draw, you know, uh, series of opponents for the Yankees or the Dodgers, this number offers value on the no. Exactly right, because it works out that the Dodgers would have a 23% chance to win the World Series. And and to be clear, though, the math on that's fairly simple. If you take a 60% team and the assumption is that you used, which I thought was generous to the other side, because you're trying to say no Do- Yankees, no Dodgers, and this is saying, wow, this is very advantageous for the Yankees and Dodgers, which is 60% team against a 50% team. So literally a team that usually doesn't even make the playoffs, and you're assuming that for all four rounds. Yeah, and they're playing playoff teams. so that- I mean, They could be an underdog, right? Yes. They could be plus 110, 112 even. They could be like favored minus 107, you think? Yes, any other theory? Like, you got any other ideas of where they could be favored? <laughs> the whole spectrum. Yeah, I agree. I actually think that covers it. So now, so now, even with that assumption, one of the a sixty percent team playing four straight fifty percent teams wins the World Series because that's what it would take for sixteen teams, four rounds. How, how often? Twenty three percent. So you got two of them though. Adds up to hold on. Let me see. 46%. Yes. Now, the take back price on this, give the odds on the favorite. The and field is minus 140. You get the other 28 teams. Okay, so you're laying 140. Yes. So how often do you have to win minus 140? You have to be right 56% of the time. Okay. And the math is saying we would be right how often? 54%. All right, so what we're saying is even with those extreme assumptions, it's a little bit of a negative, but what's the odds? I'll tell you this, I'd love that bat. What's the odds that the Yankees or any team wins a World Series without playing a winning team? Zero. Yes. I mean, seriously, zero freaking point zero. And this also assumes each round of the playoffs will be a seven-round playoff series. It's Seven game. Seven game, thank you. And it's possible, especially in the first round, it'll be a shortened series. I mean, I think that it's almost, almost certain. I mean, who knows? They might have... Some one-game crap like they do, or three-game crap, right? I, th- I think the one game is extremely unlikely, but certainly a three- or a five-game, especially in the first round, could be the case. And law of big numbers, the opposite is smaller numbers means more luck. And thus, the odds would improve of upsets if this first round wasn't seven games. Yes. Zero point zero. 
So if you almost have a break-even in the worst possible, almost impossible 0.0 assumption, you got a good bet. But if it's uh, 14 teams and there's buys for the Yankees, and we don't know the Yankees and the Dodgers would get to buy, but they're favored to. So you wouldn't bet this to 14. I, I, would, I wouldn't. I would not bet it. I want 16 teams. Yeah, but it's not about one. Yeah, you want the better bet, no doubt. Yep. Is do you need it? Can you make the case that the 14? I mean, you should know the answer. Do you, do you, can you make the case that it's still a winning bet? You know, I can make the case, and here's Go ahead. why. I think there's we all be, die. Be, because the Yankees or the Dodgers could easily have wind up in one of those play-in playoff games if there's only 14 teams. Well, for, it's not a play-in. Mm-hmm. There's two teams getting a bye, and then there's a first round they're not involved in. Right. So play-in assumes it's like a pigtail. And it's, okay, go ahead. Well, I mean, in order to get, if there's 14 teams, there's only going to be one team in the AL and one team yeah. in the NL to get the bye. And in such a shortened season, it's certainly... Um, not a lock by any means. I don't. Even th- I don't think the Yankees or the Dodgers would be favored to be the, the buy team versus who, who the field. Would be, oh, 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 right. Well, <clears throat> that's interesting because I mean, when you see the teams are like almost ten games back, right? I mean, Astros know they're ninety-five now. Well, they're right? only te- they're ten games back in a full season. They're only four games back in a shortened season. Oh, that's interesting. So obviously, as we're quoting these numbers, that was the number before. And but in theory, the general obviously the numbers won't be the same with sixty games. But the general ratios, yeah. So you're, what you're saying is because of high variance, that not only does a four rounds of a playoff have high variance, but the very act of Getting into the playoffs has variance. Now, the odds of the Yankees or Dodgers not making the playoffs is slim, but the odds of them, one team just getting red hot, so much better in a 60-game season. So you're saying that if it was 162, the odds of the Dodgers and Yankees being the number one seed would go way up. Yes. They go down here. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure what the math is on all this, but there's assumptions that you feel less confident of. Meaning you can back a napkin this or do a deep dive, but the other one you can just say, here's why. I don't know how good of a bet it is, but directionally I know it's right. This way I think you gotta be very confident in defining your variable. Yeah, it's a great point. If it's a sixteen team format, I think we just go to the window and fire. If it's less than that, now all of a sudden our confidence do we have a good bet or not? We gotta do some more calculations. Now, if we end up seeing it out, because anytime there's one out, I think this is interesting because it's Yankees and Dodgers. It's, but in general, I, I hope some. Other, I mean, let's let's give Westgate their due. A lot of the books online and stuff, and different books will copy props from. Them. I hope this spreads. Have you have you looked for it other places? I looked. I have not seen it anywhere else. And I got to tell you, I think this would be an extremely popular prop as well. I'd be surprised if other places don't start copying it. So um, it's called neural linguistic programming. So everyone listening, if you ha- operate a book, Steve Fezzik says it's going to be popular. That means you will make money. And it's just a coincidence that he wants to bet it. The fact that they would increase liquidity on his bet and increase liquidity for the audience, and then he would get... The applause, if he won, is purely coincidental. Next up, 
MBA in Orlando. Now, I had some fun with this when I saw the hotel information break across the wires yesterday, by the way, as usual, Wednesday here, pregame.com offices. By the way, a monster day in our little, but not little, podcast 2020 takeover had two separate meetings and a third by phone. So two in person, social distancing. I just, I like to do, I, I'm just going to keep social distancing probably. <laughs> Let's just say this, never knowing any individual deal, but the response to what we're doing, which we haven't announced yet, so you haven't missed it. We will when I'm ready. It's going to be exciting. But NBA, SB Nation had this. There's three hotels. Bucks, Lakers, Raptors, Clippers, Celtics, Nuggets, Jazz, Heat. Staying at the Grand Destino Tower. The newest and nicest hotel at Disney World. It opened less than one year ago. Now, you might say, RJ, those... LeBron gets to go there, and but yeah, but you know these are the teams that have the best record, so they're doing it by merit. Except I find it curious. There's eight teams in that A group, and there's 22 teams, so eight times three is 24. So that means that they could have decided: was there seven here? Was there eight here? And coincidentally, the team with the eighth best record, the Godfather Pat Riley, was on it. Or, you know, runs it, whatever. So, coincidence probably, but... And how close is it? Well, it's the closest of the three locations. Now, Thunder, Sixers, Rockets, Pacers, Mavs, Nets, Grizzlies, Magic. This is legendary. Now, by the way, you want nothing... There's nothing worse, in my opinion, because it's not dignified, I don't think, of a... Like, you don't want to hear when you think of... Let's say exotic dancers. You don't want to hear veteran. You don't want like a longtime veteran. You don't <laughs> want to hear seasoned, right? Mature. Mature is the worst. Grizzled. No, that don't disrespect women. As God, jeez, be nice. Grizzled. They're human beings. Say mature. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's the business of sadists and masochists, and you know which one you are. Do you know that, Matt? No, what's that from? Madman. But I'm saying, do you know? Did you know? Are you a sadist or a masochist? Somewhere between. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on well, the day. You took this job, right? <laughs> All right. So legendary means it's old. And by the way, the <laughs> selling point, not grizzled. The selling point is it's close proximity to Magic Kingdom and easy access to Epcot. Yes, I'm sure Ben Thompson or Ben Simmons is going to be hanging out at Epcot. Finally, this sounds ironic. The Yacht Club. Blazers, Kings, Pelicans, Spurs, Suns, Wizards. Now imagine forcing these teams. I mean, we've been ranting on how the East shouldn't even be playing. The eight teams are set. They had to do something, literally, that has never happened in American sports two times 
to make it make sense. So think about it. How many times has this happened in history? Zero point zero. Which is there's somehow a handicap that you've got to win some competition by four games or more. When has that ever happened? Zero point zero. But that wasn't enough. Because they figure we're going to screw the eight seed. We got to give it back to them in a way that they don't really get screwed. So now there's a series for the first time ever. Zero point zero. In which they have to win a different number of games. Have you ever seen that, Faz? Never. And I, you know, I was thinking about trying to draw any sort of analogy where, like, a loss just eliminates a team, but the other team needs to lose too, and I can't. I mean, like when they do round robins and and it's double elimination, it can happen. But that's not what pro, you know, that's like AAU crap, right? I mean, this is, Uh, you know, that's a great example. And the, and, you know, wrestling has that, you know, in Ohio it did. Like Little League World Series has that. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But again, it's built as it's a tournament. It's double. It's not that they play each other. Other. Yeah. (laughs) And, and. Really, what it was was saying we're going to make it totally unfair for the AC because we want to have, we want this season to feel like it, or all these games mean something. But what they really mean is we got to play seventy games so we can get that TV money for these nine teams. And then they're smart enough to say, "Hell, let's make it so we get a playing game too, a big and maybe two of them." Ideally, yeah. Well, not ideal. Ideally for them, I find it to be a travesty, but. Now, a further indignity, they have to stay at the Yacht Club. <laughs> and literally, SB Nation says, what is the Yacht Club famous for? Their jelly rolls and their dueling piano bar. I mean, I think Popovich is going to be breaking out some oldies, is what I'm guessing. What else you got on the NBA? All right. I've been thinking about this. Is a game in Orlando a home game? More like a home game or more like a road game. And i got to be honest here, RJ. I've come around, I think you all the time, or all the way when we talked about Philadelphia, were on the side of, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's more of a road game. I think it's more. I mean, I've never thought of a neutral as more of a home game ever. Yeah, and the more I thought about this, you know, different routine, COVID extreme restrictions on the players, different start times, different practice facilities, different diets, different lifestyle. This is so much different than anything that players have gone through. It is far as far removed as a home game routine, I think, as you'll ever see. So I said, you know, I think that this is really a road game. And so let's, I, I, I went ahead and thought about well, what teams are really good on the road. And unfortunately, I did my research. And the teams that have done very well on the road this year, RJ, including the Dallas Mavericks, when I went back last year, I know a little bit of a different team. No correlation. They had done poorly on the road versus home the yeah, year before. Yeah, but I mean, with Porzingis, that seems like a big change, doesn't it? It, it is a big change from year to year. So I, I don't think last, the year before means much at all myself. Well, well, the one thing that stood out, then I looked at the teams that had done badly on the road this year and did badly last year, and there's three of them that fit the bill. Go ahead. So Philadelphia, that's probably the one everyone knows about this year. 29-2 and two at home, 10-24 and 24 on the road. Last year, Philly won 75% of their home games, and they were just below 500 on the road. So this is a two-year problem for the 76ers. All right, so if you had to guess why so much of a problem on the road for the Sixers. 
Well, the Sixers certainly seem to be an undisciplined team when you watch Embiid, when you watch Simmons just in general, and I think that lack of discipline gets them in trouble when they're out of their routine. So what tells you? I mean, because the dangerous thing is you can reverse engineer stuff like this. It's like, is every team that's bad on the road discipline problems? Is this the chicken or the egg? What do we know about their discipline problems where that's original reported information, not that we're trying to figure out in hindsight, oh, look, they're young. I bet they're, you know, I heard uh, Simmons was at the club once with a Kardashian. I mean, what do we know? Yeah, I don't know. So maybe. So why maybe, are you saying a bunch of stuff you don't know? So maybe I should just stick to the data. The data well, says, no, and I don't know why. Stick to the facts. The not fact, the, yeah. To the, yeah, the facts say. And I'm not saying that this isn't the case. I think it's generally considered the case. But our job is to question assumptions. That's the, the, the yes. basis of our job. And I'm really not sure of the reasons. I mean, listen, if I had a bet, I bet the rumors are true. So I think it's fair. And I think it's even more fair to say, I think it's a little more tenuous to say the lack of nightlife is going to be a big distraction. Because really, if yeah. you're, you know, it might be out of sight, out of mind. Right. But usually not if you love the, the Hollywood nights. In those Hollywood hills. <laughs> Big city lights. <laughs> you know what's funny? I mean, this is the truth. And the fact I'm willing to say it makes it okay, I think. No. is So, you know, when we did, or I did Ballers, and my wife was there and, and you know, was very supportive. And, she, you know, she's not Hollywood. You know, this was in Vegas at the Cosmo. But she's like, literally, if she, it was like the rock wants to, like, have lunch with you, too, she'd be like, you go. It's like a weird... She's almost anti-fame, hmm. right? Which, I don't know, The Rock really is, you know, like, the fact he kind of climbed up and all that, I think maybe it's different than just a, a facile, you know, celebrity or something. I think The Rock's got some... You know, at least that's my thought. He's got some, you know, meat to his... Um, you know, more... It's not just sizzle, might be the way to say it. At least my, my perception is. But... Um, when they had the closing rap party, so when the season was over, they have a rap party, you know, uh, wrap it up, W-R-A-P, and they invited us to L.A. to go to it. So I was like, well, geez, yeah. So, um, you know, we fl- and then I had <laughs> the entire trip, I mean, probably like 38 times, this is what we listened to. Just listen to the first verse. Right then, he was too far from home. 
It got old though for her. But that made it I made me like it more. That's as you could probably guess. <laughs> there you go. Anything else, Russ? Tell me that's Bob Seeger. Yes. <sighs> yeah. I mean, Seeger's one of those dudes. It's like I there isn't that many songs that I love of his, but the ones I love, I love. Awesome. Two more bad road teams to look to fade. Yes. Washington. What I really like about Washington is that their results are pretty darn similar this year versus last year, home versus the road. They win about half their home games, and they only win 25% of the road games. So they've been consistently bad on the road. Mm-hmm. One more team, San Antonio Spurs. So, so let's be clear. So is this a fade, auto fade? You know, I think it is. I don't think it's the first. I think you stay away from Washington the first game. Be, uh, get, uh, stay away from Fadem because if they're going to be there, they're going to think. I think I, what I would do is make a bet right now to bet against them after the first game they lose. So the follow-up game, if it's not, if it's one of the first two games. If they go 2-1 and one and lose the third, I think they're fine. But if they lose one of the first two games... I think you auto fade the next game because because they're already up against it in terms yeah, of the I, chance I think to get you know how it is when you have to like games. Do, like if you're playing anything you're playing you got to win you know let's say four hands in a row or something but let's say you got ten tries to win four hands in a row when you get that defeat that may that cuts your odds in half or you know whatever scenario it is it really is demoralizing because you're talking yourself into that you got a chance yes and once they legitimate i love that you're i agree with that once once it starts going bad it could go really bad for washington what's not so clear another team that's really struggling on the road the san antonio spurs and you know i gotta be honest you know pop great coach for whatever reason the spurs have been so much worse on the road than at home now i've spoken to some people about this and they feel that the Spurs' home court advantage, the crowd, still very much supports the Spurs. But you look at these numbers. But they didn't support, support the Spurs in the past? Well, they, they've, they've maintained this high level. Yeah, but what I'm saying is whatever incremental edge the home court gives you, why would it give you more now that they're the lesser team Meaning that before they would, you know, do well at home, but they did well on the road. So, the, you know, not as well, but about what you'd expect. Now, if, there, if there's a bigger disparity, that isn't just the crowd's cheering, because if the crowd's cheering, they should continue, based on whatever their level is, be X much better, you know, a certain amount better at home and worse on the road. Why would that distance grow? Well, I think a lot of teams that were elite um, teams and in contention, when they suddenly fall off and become a 500 team, they lose a big part of their home court. I have no—see, but you're going about it the opposite way. What you're saying is, and I agree, that if a team's home support diminishes because the team's not winning as much, their home court edge would decrease. No doubt. It's just logical. That wasn't the case here, so it's not pertinent. The question is— Let's just say for the sake of argument, and it's probably not this, that you win 10% more games at home. All right, just keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Not right, but it's simple. And it's just for the simple math we're going to do here to make my point. So let's go in like an 82-game season. If the Spurs were a 60-win team, like there, you know, that was the power rating, a 60-win team. The theory is at home, if they played all their games at home, They'd be a 66-win team, or I guess they'd be a 63-win team, right? So half the games aren't at home, whatever. Okay. 
Now, if your number dropped to your 42-win team, but your home court stayed the same, you would still have that same edge however it was applied. Your ability on the road, in theory, isn't explained by how good you are at home. So once again, I don't understand. I understand why, because the home court's being maintained, the Spurs are still winning more, you know, by at least as much of a typical home court, if not more, no matter where their baseline level is, is great or but why would why they Why are they lose? falling off so much? Yeah. And I I don't know the answer. No, listen, Popovich, a lot of people could say, people are saying, but I think it's a I can tell you this, politics, especially specific, I mean, you can talk theories and stuff and agree to disagree, but when you get with those you know, the colors, right? The, you know, the Republicans, the Democrats. And then when you're, you know, you can't be, I mean, Popovich is a, let's be candid. He's a basketball genius probably, or at least he was. I mean, people get older and sometimes they lose it. But he can't be so stupid if he's a genius at basketball to not know that if you take a guy, the president, who you know, more than half the electoral college votes went for and about half or, you know, almost half of the popular votes. And you make it out that he's, you know, nothing but bad. You know, it doesn't mean you can't say when you disagree, you can't disagree vigorously. But if you attack him personally, then you're attacking by extension his supporters. And I feel like now I'm not saying that's causing trouble on his team, and because, I mean, chances are, and I mean, we don't know for sure, but chances are they agree with him politically. Just the reality of, you know, racial justice and all that is, you know, though Trump got more black voters than Romney did, which is surprising by the exit polls, it still is an extreme, you know, I think it was 88-12 or something, but I'm just remembering from a, a, a misty memory. So I'm not sure why. Maybe it's just got him where he – I mean, to some degree, you got to wonder why he cares. Like, coaches often quit because they just don't care anymore. Like, none of this – like, what? He's not going to – I mean, it doesn't seem like he's going to win another title, right? What's the scenario he wins another title? I mean, the minute Leonard left, it was over. Yes. And who knows how surly he is about – I mean, it seems like – What's not discussed is either Leonard or Popovich was wrong. There's no way that they were blameless, both of them. They were in major conflict. Sure. Well, they're both loved, meaning Popovich is still now said with a little bit of a maybe it's past tone, but Popovich is considered a great coach, or he certainly was. And Leonard's considered to be maybe the, the, the biggest winner in the NBA. Right? Is if you got a championship to win, he's your man. Yes. That's not LeBron, I'll tell you that much. So one of them was so wrong, they broke up a potential. Because with Aldridge, you got to wonder, you know, this could be a good team. I mean, I thought when they got Aldridge and had Leonard that there was another generation coming. And obviously that's not the case. No. So, but it doesn't feel like the political stuff necessarily would get in the way. Maybe it's just, I mean, my understanding is he's holding on to coach the Olympics, but I guess the Olympics aren't happening, right? No. Nope. Obviously. So the plan is to have him in 2021, right? Right now, yes. You, you want to look up, Mackenzie, the U.S. basketball. Is the assumption still Popovich's coach? I'll look it up. Yeah. 
And my understanding was that he was going to coach through, get to the Olympics, because he had to you know, stay engaged. Why not get paid whatever he's making a year? It's a lot. And maybe this whole uh, COVID-19 caused him to have to wait another year, which makes me want to fade the Spurs next year even worse. Because mm-hmm. if he felt like this was his last day, like he, you know, he was done with the Spurs effectively. He wanted to make the Olympics his crown, you know, his, his goodbye achievement. Then now he's got to wait a whole other year? I don't see him working real hard. I mean, I'm just speculating. And maybe it's just that lack of, di- you know, hey, I've been trying to find the sound on this. I can't. I hope I do. If anyone has it, tweet at me, at RJ in Vegas. Stephen Jackson, the former Spur, who's now... So he was set to... Well, yeah, I know he was set to be the 2020 coach. So the question is, 71 at this point. It's funny. He's been Spurs coach 24 years. He was like the GM and he made himself the coach. Yep. Thanks for confirming. And <laughs> get a lot of affirmation and things I know to be true. <laughs> At least you didn't say you're correct. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, I know, Steve. He's pointing. I'm so good. That's what I do. <laughs> we, I mean, listen, we're, we are deciding when to start the videos because, you know, there's not a ton going on. But, I mean, I think we need just a camera on Fez. Yep, it's back. I don't know. I don't. I to some degree with Popovich. I think the bigger question is. So he is committed to be coach in twenty twenty one. I think the bigger question is, does he care? My sense is that he'll be mad if he had. I mean, remember he's a foodie too. He loves the good food. He loves the wine. That's like his thing when he goes around. And every, you know, he's got his favorite restaurants in every town, which is great, right? Enjoy life. But I don't think that, that the Epcot, I mean, remember now, he's at the Yacht Club, right? <laughs> the Dueling Piano Bar is probably not going to be to Popovich's liking. Yeah, the Mickey Mouse pancakes for breakfast. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so quickly, Stephen Jackson was on The Herd. It's probably been in the last 18 months, maybe a little longer. And he said... Notice the Spurs haven't done a thing since Duncan retired. And he's like, it wasn't Duncan at the end on the court. It was Duncan was the locker room sheriff. The idea being Popovich was surly, tough to deal with, dismissive, aloof. I think we sense that, right? Yes. But you have this Hall of Famer, this maybe top eight, nine player of all time that's living it. Kind of reminds me of another guy, Tom Brady. And it's going to be interesting. It seems like pa- and what Jackson said was, he, you know, without that locker room sheriff, younger players, it's like he doesn't have that intermediary to be the voice of the coach in the locker room. Not just a sheriff. Would you call that a buffer as well? A buff- well, a buffer. There's lots of buffers. A buffer implies it's blocking. I mean, I don't – I think – I think it may it became unnecessary to talk. I mean, effectively, there'd be less interaction with Popovich, which would probably be a good thing, but it wasn't. He was blocking the interaction. He was satisfying the need for the interaction. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. This is the business we've chosen. Hyman Roth. You know, 
Remember the cake scene? <laughs> yes. Smaller piece. <laughs> you know what's funny? On Billions, they explained the, the uh, mid-season because of the COVID finale. They, you know, Axe explained going to the mattresses. And I read a couple of reviews that were like, oh, that was unnecessary. It was superfluous. And then one of them linked to uh, You Got Mail, which is to me maybe not. I think Harry, when Harry Met Sally was the best rom-com, but You Got Mail is way underrated. Dave Chappelle. But what's your favorite rom-com there, uh, Hollywood? I don't think I have one. Really? That's a great question. I mean, that maybe that, well, to me, embracing, like, to me, a great pop song. Like, if you can do anything you want, if Beatles, White Album, you can do anything you want, yeah, you're going to make some great stuff. But if you say, with almost like a haiku, right, within this restriction, do something great, that can even be greater. Yeah, limitation is the uh, something of creativity, right? <laughs> and if you think about it, like when, like when a great director makes a music video, like there's something that is energizing about it for the artist oftentimes. And like I've swung on Godfather 1 and 2, which in a way is this argument, because you could make the case that, you know, Godfather 1's a genre picture where Godfather 2 is an art picture. Yeah. And... When I was a kid, this is an interesting evolution. When I was a kid, it was Godfather 1, because I didn't understand Godfather 2. Then for that pretentious, you know, 17 through 33 maybe, I was Godfather 2. But then, maybe right around my mid-30s, there was uh, two weeks in a row in the theater here in Vegas, they had Godfather 1 and 2. So I went... Week one, went week two, and I left saying Godfather 1's the better movie. It's like a perfect movie. Yeah. It doesn't have the, you know, Frankie Five Angel scene and the Roman, you know, the way they'd open up their van. I mean, there's, there's art. I, Godfather 2's amazing, but it's, there's a sloppy, it, it's like a sloppy, brilliant, long nine-minute song that could have been seven and even at seven, it would have been indulgent, but indulgent in all the best ways. But the Godfather is like a circle. Mm. You can't take anything away without ruining it. You can't add anything without ruining it. Yeah. Like, I've seen every outtake of the Godfather. None of them belonged. I mean, they're interesting. I love them, but they didn't belong in the movie. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think? I agree. You like Godfather 1 better. Yes, I do. You know, uh, it's like picking between children, though, so... Well, that's... Yeah, you do that, too. <laughs> For the record, I, I, uh, I, mean, I don't. Are you bringing up so Sophie's Choice right now? Another movie? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, Duncan's last year, the Spurs went 67-15 and 15 and had a scoring margin of over 10.5 points a game. Now, how good was Duncan his last year? Good enough that he didn't play the year, you know, not good enough to even play the next year. And what were they, the, you know, the following seasons? Let's look at that. He wasn't that big on the court. Or he was big. Yeah. He's big in Europe. 
He's big in Germany. <laughs> All right. Anything else? That's it, just to summarize? Yeah. So we got three teams that have struggled on the road versus home, not just this year, but last year, Philadelphia 76ers, Washington, and San Antonio. My expectation will be they, there's a higher than normal chance that these teams will struggle in Orlando, essentially a road venue. And for you, it's play or, or fade or pass, right? Yes. Ah, so they had 67, 61 wins that next year. Wow, that's impressive. And then 47. So 47 was the year with, with uh, Leonard in the dispute. Yes, he only played uh, nine or so games. Look at that. So I mean, that really shows you. And they had Aldridge in 16-17, right? Yep. So that shows you they were they – were, I mean, 61-win team, it's not, like, it's not like Leonard got worse – and if any, you know, and if anything, they were jettisoning, jettisoning, yeah, um, getting rid of. Uh, you know, I, I know we might have played a little bit longer, but you know, some of the old timers. I'm having a mental block. The Ginobili. Yeah, the foreign player Ginobili and um, Parker. Tony Parker. And. I can't remember what year they got rid of. I think they got rid of Parker earlier now that I think about it. You know, like, he might not even have played that 61 win year. But maybe they said, I mean, think about it. They get one more, not max player even, but a 10, you know, like a really good third wheel. Popovich motivated. Leonard coming. I mean, it's not, you can make the case that team was just as good as Toronto. Right? Sure. I mean, it was obviously a different year, but. I think Pop probably understands that, you know, Latin, I mean, they would never have won the title they did against the Heat without Leonard. It was that draft, you know, for George Hill and that trade that gave them another run. And they should have won both. But if they won the first, you don't. Maybe they don't win the second. I think yeah. more than likely they don't win. And let's give Popovich credit. Amazing. I mean, you lose a game like that, it feels like you're, I mean, they literally, they had, you know, people don't remember this. Leonard choked, by the way. He was on the line with like 26 seconds left. Betting odds in-game were 95%. Spurs to win. I think they were up four. He was shooting two with like 25 seconds left. They win that game a lot. They were bringing the champagne. and It was in Miami. It was good. They were going to be having the celebration on the floor. It was literally they were rolling it out. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Miami Heat fans were rolling out of the stadium, leaving oh, early. Oh, yeah. And, I mean... Let's uh, let's give that quick that quick release jumper. Wow, what a shot! Jesus, you talk about like that shot really just shows you that sometimes all the work pays off when when you have. Uh, oh God, I'm having another mental block. The uh, the former Celtic, the Ray was, Allen. Yeah, Ray Allen hits that shot, and it was like if he would have had a normal you know normal. Stroke, I'm not sure if he would have got it off in time, if I remember. But the way he – it was like a video game. He grabbed it, and he was like not – you know, he wasn't close to the three. Somehow he got out there. He, like, jumped out there. I don't even know how he did it. And, I mean, all that at the – I mean, wow. Boy, LeBron. Imagine LeBron. I mean, think about it. I mean, I don't like LeBron, so it's kind of fun to think about. But oh. Ky if Kyrie doesn't hit that shot – I mean, they were two shots away from him being like one and six in the final, or whatever. What would his record be? 
One and eight? Holy camoly. <laughs> I mean, and he had nothing to, I mean, listen, he got him to the brink. So, you know, the brink of winning. So give him credit. But literally, he could have lost both of those games with him having nothing to do with it. Wow. I would pay a lot of money to live in that universe. <laughs> I really would. All those idiots. Listen, LeBron, in a way, is Kareem, meaning his consistency. Kareem wasn't a huge winner either. I mean, you look at all those years being the highest scorer of all time. Until he got magic, he won, what, one? Yep. So, I mean, Kareem is an all-timer. But isn't that LeBron? Right? I mean, it's his longevity. longevity. Yeah. It's his consistency of being really not just good but great for so many years. Mm-hmm. Being there enough to win a few. Now, I will say getting to those finals all those years, now you got to ask yourself, is it even – I get the whole you can't be better if you win, if you lose earlier, but I'm not sure if there's not a mystique to winning a majority of your – or obviously like MJ, never losing, never going to seven – we had, didn't talk much about the last dance, but to whatever degree that I knew MJ was the best, because I hated MJ. There was just I just felt an affinity to Larry Bird, and in hindsight, I love MJ. But at the time, I was holding on to the old school, even as a kid. You know, as a kid, and I like Magic, man. I mean, it was like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I uh, I had to pick someone when they played each other, but they only did. I mean, it was three times, which was impressive. But I mean, it wasn't like every year, Lakers and Celtics, in that era. But I didn't. I just wanted to be. I still remember that Larry Bird Pacers team. I was so rooting for them because I loved Bird. So it was like okay. Mm-hmm. And then when Reggie Miller hit that shot, I mean, they showed it and. He and Bird's face didn't change. I mean, Bird was that was cold blooded, man. And then they they showed the footage in the Last Dance after where he was. Uh, they were but you know they were ball busting Bird and. I mean, yeah, it's and it's so amazing that Bird Bird could have been a coach his whole time, but he said, "I think it's about three years that, that they'll listen to you," and. His last game coaching was in the finals. Who does that? I didn't remember that. I'm almost sure. You want to look up? Look that up. So Kareem was six and well, six and four, but he was one and one before Magic. Wow, I think Magic had a little something to do with it. Boy, I didn't realize. Wait a minute, that can't be. They were in the final. I guess they were in the finals eight times. I guess Magic was there nine. So, yeah, and 90, yep. 91 would be the one time without Kareem. Yep. And I just looked it up. Larry Bird did coach his last game in the NBA Finals, losing to the Lakers. Think about it. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, losing to the Lakers. So, okay, that's interesting. So, his first year, he, how many years did he coach? Three years. <laughs> first year was that last dance year. Okay, so that was his first yeah, Okay, so he – but then they actually ended up making the Finals – and he lost, and they got blown out in that series, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty. I mean, it was it was four two. Yeah, but what? I mean, think about that. You, they took Pacers took MJ to the brink. Like, I mean, the Knicks did that one. So you know, okay, right there as the toughest series in all of MJ's championships. 
And then the third year, you go to the finals, and he says, all right, I've done it. I can't, and you think you'd want to win one. And what really stood out was that the Pacers were the one team when they were doing the interviews. They're like, we really thought we were going to win the series. You know, it's like nah, Utah said, all, we want – no, they did weren't all. They were like – Utah was like, we want to win. Well, Gary Payton was saying that they were All right, right, yeah. I mean – I think he's still saying if he would have covered Jordan the whole way, they would have won. Well, You're right. Well, yeah, he said it in the show. Yeah, I don't know if he's still saying He just said it recently. <laughs> yeah, he probably is. He probably hasn't changed his mind since. All right, let's go to the NFL. Eagles lose Brandon Brooks. Some people are saying who, but Steve's going to teach you something. He's going to do it with authority and a little haughtiness, probably. Yeah, the Eagles lost their best lineman, Brandon Brooks, and this is a big deal. Under the radar, the markets aren't reacting much to this at all. But Brandon, so right now, what is out there liquid? Like, if you wanted to bat fade Philly, the season wins. Yes. What percentage of uh, books have that now? Every, almost, almost every. every book, yes. And the number's nine and a half, and there's been about a ten cent move. On this, so instead of didn't playing, you just say on the radio today there was no move? Well, it's still nine and a half. Yeah, but it's, the vig matters, right? Yeah. So instead of minus one ten, you can still get minus. That, that's where you decided to actually round. Was the yes. thing that actually you could have said very easily. There's only been a slight move down. Instead, you acted like there wasn't any move. But then when there's 14 numbers, you want to go to the decimal point. Go ahead. All right. Now the widely available is minus one twenty under nine and a half. You could still get under nine and a half minus a dollar ten at some. So what shops. do you think? I mean, first off, uh, Pro Football Focus had him as the best lineman in the NFL. Now, we can say that is in not perfectly accurate, and you'd probably be right. So the question is, he's still going to be a top fifteen, line, you know, meaning best lineman on the Eagles, and maybe you know. I would say probably even better than that, top 10. You know, so we don't have to get stuck on he was the best. He's an elite Pro Bowl-level lineman that you just can't replace. It's not like you got those you know, in backup positions. How much do you think it's worth? First, tell me about his backup and backups options. And then number two, is it worth more than a dime? And how do you calculate it? Yeah, so his backup is fourth-round draft pick rookie, left tackle Driscoll out of Auburn. So he, a guy that hasn't even been in camp yet. Yes. So they're not going with that. Yeah, so they're probably going to make a move to go ahead or shuffle the line to be able to cover for him. How much is he worth? I would say just under. So shuffle the line means someone new is going to have to play, right? Right. So the theory is there might be someone in a different position that's a more senior backup that can't swing over, so they sh- – okay. Yes. So there's going to be some reshuffling, and in the end you're going to have one person playing out of position – which means a lot on the line, especially if you switch sides. And, I mean, these linemen talk about it's like throwing left-handed. I mean, I believe them. You know, it just doesn't seem as hard as that. It's important to acknowledge that they think it is, which means it is because they do it. And number two, you're going to have a backup in. So you're taking a top lineman out, taking a person out of position, and now you have to put a backup in. So listen, everyone's got their strong suits Assessing line play, I mean, there's guys like um, Jeff Schwartz is pretty well known for that. There's a couple guys, or more than a couple, but a couple known guys on Twitter. They look at film, they're breaking linemen down. Obviously, pro football focus is a shortcut, I, which is a good shortcut, I think, right? So that'd be interesting. Mackenzie, why don't we – let's – oh, sorry. Let's put this on a – like a – not a – we might do this one day, but this would be good, is – Pro Football Focus will be 
a piece of this, maybe even half of it. What is going to be our second best assessment of how good linemen are? We'll do a blend, right, because you diversify the biases in different systems. And then we can, you know, I don't – it's funny because I've been reading at Pro Football Focus where they have some interesting studies where it's like the most correlated to losing or winning is not, let's say, the top receiver. It's not the best lineman. It's like it's not the worst lineman. Like there's all these theories that they've now proven statistically. So let's think of best lineman, worst lineman. Is the worst lineman not being important makes a ton of sense because you can cover up for one guy. Meaning every line has a worst lineman, no matter if it's the best line, you know, it's relative. And the theory is they get the tight end. They get the a lot. They get the roll away. Like they, they, you know, they are reading the situation and saying, this guy needs help. So since you get to compensate for one almost always, the worst time it doesn't mean that much. Mm. But I think, and I'm going by memory, but it was the third lineman that meant the most. And I, I can't remember the rationale why the first wasn't as important. But... And it's fascinating where, like, the third cover corner is the most important, which kind of makes sense because some teams have no one there. And the third receiver, even if he's just average, will kill him because you've got to cover one-on-one. You can't double the third receiver. And if you got a good third, it's like, it's, you know, it means a ton. It's like, this is interesting stuff. I got You can double the, the wideouts? Well, the th- well, you can't double both, but the theory mm-hmm. is you're doubling one. You got your best corner on the other, which ends yeah. up so three guys cover two, but then you're left with that third, and you see it like, and that's where I think some of the excitement around the Cowboys kind of makes sense. You know, they're going to have a pretty good third receiver. Yeah, with Lamb coming in. Yeah, so you know, let's say this: our project will be let's find a way to quantify these. I mean, maybe you know what we do? Maybe what we do is we wait. And pro football focus is pretty serious. You know, they don't want you reading their stuff. And, you know, they have every right to not want that. Like, uh, like long list of things. So maybe what we do is this. We weight the lines based upon their, the history as, as, as they've discovered it, as in how important each position or the first lineman is, the second lineman, et cetera. Now, the first and second, third, whatever, is going to be driven by the rating. It's not the centers. For, it's the rating, how good they are. And we'll take the grade. So if they say the, the third lineman is worth 20% more than the first lineman, we'll just do that coefficient and come up with a composite score for each line. Then we'll stack rank that and do 1 to 32. Then we'll go with football outsiders who ranks the lines themselves. So we'll get a 1 to 32 there. I think it gives us a pretty good idea. Now, obviously, we got to adjust for change in Personnel. Uh, this might be hard. Maybe we just go. Maybe it's just football outsiders for the line itself. Understanding that then we do have to adjust for change of personnel, but just in that one case, and then we go with for individuals. Just for, I don't know, because to me it feels like if you just go pro football focus, there's no way you have an edge, and maybe we don't. Maybe we just are parity on these kind of things. You know, if you, listen, if you can be parity by leveraging others in areas you're not strong at and better 
than parity in other areas, you are better now. I mean, right? You're average in some and better in others. I think admitting that's tough because if you're on the radio on a podcast, you want to seem like you know it all. What we try to do is really be honest about that. And Steve is very, very on, obvious with his limitations. Is it honest or obvious? I guess it's both, right? Because if you're obvious, that's a type of honesty. You don't hide it. You might try, but it doesn't work. What do you think? I like honest better. I know. I know. Well, theoretically, you do. <laughs> what do you think, McKenzie? You got any thoughts? I think transparency is always best. No, no, I, I meant about the line. <laughs> oh, I think that's... Uh, in fact, hold on. Ten minutes, he's, out, he's in timeout. Mike's off. Try to talk. Help, help, huh? please. Somebody. Nothing. Nothing. Wait, let, let's hear what he's saying. Help. <laughs> Anyone out there, can you hear me? I'll give him a chuckle there. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, but I'm actually going to 12 minutes because he has a moratorium on trying to be funny. <laughs> All right, so 12 minutes. All right. And if I, he needs something, he's going to run out and hand it, handwritten, like a page in the Senate. If they still have pages, I don't know. So what do you think? About a point of game you're figuring? Because if he's that good, but we don't really know. Yeah. So what's a point of game mean for the season? 16 points. Oh, thank you. So we take 35 <laughs> points is worth half a game. So this is worth just a little less than half a game. All right, so it should have moved at 50 cents and moved at a dime. Yes. You can just get to the point. Do you feel like you need to, like, preen and prune when you do the math? Like, you can do that faster than you're doing it, yeah, right? Yeah, so the Eagles should I know, I understand, but why don't you? Because you just want to, like, have, like, time in the sun? Is that what it is? Say, I mean, admit it if it's true. No, I'm... Just, Why are you doing it slow then? I'm just surprised at how what I, what I feel is going to be a line move that's going to happen and why it's happening Guess so slowly. Guess who shows up with for the no reason at all to get his grandstanding and hot dogging in? You, man. Macho man said it, not me. So you're saying you're surprised that something that's worth 50 cents is worth 10 cents? Yes. That makes sense that you'd be surprised at that makes you wonder if maybe that one point is a bad number, right? I mean, that's not gold. That, could, that might be off. I mean, it feels like that. I mean, you've talked about this off air where a lot of professionals who are in that tier of, you know, and this is most, is, yeah, hey, their bankrolls are down, right? You, it's hard to have nothing going on for this time. And it's hard for every, you know, in different ways for almost everybody. And now are you really going to lay out? Like it seems like your threshold of future bets has to go up. It has to because let's face it, what's the probability there, there's going to be a full 16-game season as scheduled? What do you think, RJ? 50%? Uh, I, how's this? I'll give you minus 120. I'll take the yes. You want it? You were saying 50% was your best guess. Yeah, I'll take, I, I'll I, take. I, all right, so 360 to win three. Yes. All right, full 16. And remember, full 16 doesn't mean on the exact dates. It's full 16. I mean, it's like probably minus 400. What's really? The, what's the scenario they don't go to full 16? Like, give me that scenario. There's a couple of um, teams that have six or seven guys. Okay, so they have six or seven guys. Now what? You're out. Then what? 
I mean, like the Cowboys have people now, right? Texans w- and Cowboys. What are they doing? Yeah. They're resting. Those people are resting. <laughs> yeah. What's the other people doing? Everyone else is doing their Zoom meetings and business. So why would that be different during the season? Yeah. You want you want to go to no the no no no. The reality is when the picks are or the bets are the most obvious is when they tend to lose. So you might be okay, but I and I hope you're not because in a way you're betting on death and destruction. I mean. That doesn't surprise me, but, I mean, right? What are you batting on? Are you hoping now? No. I mean, I— You're hoping that they don't play 16 games, which means that a lot of people are going to die, right? I want them to play the 16 games. Perfect. So you get a hedge in a way. Yeah, the negative EV, I think. Well, you think. <laughs> yes, I think you're right. So let's think about that. So, yeah, you got a hedge because if it goes bad— that means there's bad things happening. It means there's less games to bat, and you win your three hundred sixty dollars. Woohoo! So you're rooting. Not, you're rooting for me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I like. I'm comfortable with that. I really am. <laughs> All right. <laughs> WNBA. Now listen, I'm going to tease this till next week, because. So when's the first of all? When's the odds coming out? Like, are they out? No odds yet. When would you guess? I mean, I'm guessing at least a couple of weeks, right? Yes. We never know. But straight book might do something. We use it. We don't listen. We don't elongate things for no reason. It's just this has gone a little long. We got best bets. We got a lot of good stuff. Still good stuff coming up. We want to get through it. So next week, we're going to talk at length, or you know, as long as it needs to be, about how this WNBA season could be the most profitable. Oh, looks like the odds are out at Westgate. But, again, give them credit. But um, the uh, most people aren't in Vegas. So we'll do it next week. And, again, you wouldn't have had future bets anyway, right? That's not your style, is it? You might have had some futures? On occasion. Well, that's yes. interesting. Have you done your work? I have not. Okay, so it wouldn't matter anyway, right? So you know what would be interesting, though? Don't look at those WNBAs. And promise, you got to pledge it now, that we'll do, hold on, that we'll do the reveal, whereas you give your odds, true odds, and we'll compare them to the Westgate odds at the time and see if there's any value. I like that. All right, but you can't look. I will not. Because you know I can tell. Oh, I know you can tell. That's what I'm saying. And if you looked, I think it's a $3,000 fine to charity. I'm serious. you got to avert your freaking eyes. I will. So you agree? Agree. All right. That should be fun. All right. We've got an NBA long shot for each of us. And then, yeah, let's do that. You got, you, I mean, you're given, I mean, you gave a potential bat, a conditional bat on baseball. We're going to do an NBA long shot, we promise. And then you got another best bat for action. Why don't you start with the NBA? So the theory is that, in the bubble, variance goes up. Less games, as we've talked about, and the regular season, but also, and that was with baseball too, obviously. But all kind of factors that aren't typical. So, Steve, I'm going to run down the factors of the restart as I see them, and just give me a gut feeling if you agree where we're at. Um, how good are the coach? How good the coaches? I think is important. These are unfamiliar situations, literally one of a kind, oftentimes, and I think. Quality of coaching affects both how they handle it and also the discipline on the team. 
because I think the discipline of the team is going to be important too. Thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Brad Stevens stands out as the number one guy that should be able to navigate through this. I got to be honest, you know, looking at the rest of the coaches, I did not come up with a clear-cut number two coach that I want to back. But that doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean I mean, bad. there could be three really good coaches you can't decide between. So who's in the, who's in the group of potential number two? Doc Rivers, uh, Spolstra. Yeah, Spolster's good. Rivers is good. So that's it? Those would be the two that come to mind. As... Yeah. And I think, it, I, I think ingenuity, cleverness isn't the answer as much as I think discipline is key. Because it, it, there is going to be ingenuity and cleverness, but generally, or do you have a disciplined team? And if you have a disciplined coach, you tend to attract disciplined players, especially after their first contract when they have a choice. And you lose the undisciplined one. So, to me, that hurts Philadelphia. Number two, well, other factors is the discipline will affect their, them being in shape. I believe that what we see, the, the most impactful NBA game we will ever see, meaning the power ratings will probably collectively, should collectively move the most of any game, is probably the first game of these eight games. We're going to see how motivated the teams are. We're going to see how in shape they are. I mean, that seems humongous. Yeah, and there's reports that Jokic apparently has trimmed like 25 pounds off his what was rotund frame. So if we can see an entire team show up in shape, I think you're right. That is huge. So that's an example. But in general, when I, I'm saying something which is like the biggest of all time, probably deserves a comment. So do you agree? Do you disagree? I agree strongly that the and I think you mentioned that very first game all these teams play, if ever there's a game to watch, you know, start to finish of every team in great detail, it's their first game back in Orlando. And I think you can see some things by the game, but I think you're getting 80% of it by watching the first 10 minutes. Mm. Or, or I would say, yeah, maybe, because motivation might not be as easy to see. You know, and, and uh, Daryl Morey was talking about how they benefit from some situations, but Harden reportedly has lost a lot of weight, which sounds like a good thing, I guess. I don't know. I mean, he wasn't heavy. He was, I don't know. Does he need to be thinner, or does he need to be strong enough to deal with the pounding? But he must have lost it on purpose, I'm guessing. I mean, the strip clubs weren't open. <laughs> I mean, he's famous in Houston, or at least allegedly, I'll say. Allegedly. Okay, older teams benefit from the extra rest. Now, LeBron was talking about deconditioning faster if they're older, but it's been so long now. If you stayed in shape, you stayed in shape, and if you didn't, you didn't. But, I mean, literally, it's been longer, or it will have been longer from the first, or if we go from the June settling, you know, championship being decided, Toronto, to the start of this season, it was 130 Two days, 132. From March 11th, when the season was suspended, to July 30th, 140 days. So eight more days. It's longer projected to be from this corona hiatus than the off season. So I, don't, I think age benefits from having, uh, not being tired at this point more than anything, which is what Logic kind of said to start with, but LeBron kind of contradicted. Where are you at on that? Yeah, now, 
I thought that the older players would benefit more from not having to go through the wear and tear of the season. So. But is it about the missed games or is it about the rest? The rest seems to be the key, right? Well, I think the fact you don't have to grind and play game after game after game. Yeah, but So, yeah, the rest is key. Yeah, I mean, like the fact that in the course of a like 12-month calendar year, they, they're going to have less games on their body by 10, I don't think that's as big as having mo- four months off, right? Yes. Okay. Um, but in a way, you can. What you're saying is, it could be construed as one and the same. Is the very act of not playing the games means you're resting. So, but I don't think it's exactly the same. I, but I, I think we agree now. The rest is the key factor. Um, lower seeds have a better chance simply because there's no home court advantage, right? Yeah, and you just think about all these games, all these series in the past have gone to a game seven, and how hard it is to win on the road in a game seven. So the theory is, if they're even teams, you pick them instead of a four-and-a-half-point dog. Yes. Only for seven games. So, you know, it's a, it, that's the funny thing is, if you think of it like that, home court doesn't mean much, but it's all the, the, the hand-wringing when you're down 0-2. You know, if you just played every game ignorant, uh, you know, of the, the um, series situation, the home court wouldn't mean as much. I think it's more of a mind effort than anything. Obviously, it wouldn't be all that hard. I don't have it in me right now to figure out how often these go seven. We could look historically. We could do the math of it. But what people might think is, oh, evenly matched. It's going to go seven a lot. And, again, this isn't what everyone's thinking. In fact, I think this, uh, like everyone, we all have our brain farts. But it's, it's you know significantly less than half, even if they're evenly matched. Yeah, and the reason is is that in order to go seven, you need it to be three two. If it obviously if it breaks four one, the series is over. And if it's three two and there's two equal teams, it's fifty fifty to get to that game seven. Yeah. So and obviously the do theory doesn't apply in such a short sample though sometimes, but the zigzag does, which lends itself to closer games. Now what's interesting is the old David Stern rumors, and I mean, I would make the case they aren't necessarily without merit. But there was a time where the NBA was uh, like someone trying to make their rent. They were worried about every little extra game here or there. And somehow, some way, and the MJ series, as you could say, fall into this, when it looked like it was going to be a short series, somehow... The right referee ended up there, and the series went to lead, you know, six games. So I think they'd probably be a little skewed in the past that it would go longer because they'd want to keep the series close. I agree with you. All right. Uh, because of these factors pointing to variance, we said, hey, though the NBA typically has the winner or the better team win more often than any other league. So often it sometimes seems too predictable to some. We'd give you two long shots. You're up, Fess. All right, I'm gonna take the Boston Celtics 16 to one to win it all. I got Brad Stevens, the coach that I feel is the best coach in the NBA. It was coincidental that you mentioned how good he was. (laughs) And also, let's face it, the Celtics are a young team, but they're a team that was really banged up come the shutdown of the NBA. They, we saw Kemba Walker. He sat out all February and, frankly, did not play well coming back from his knee injury the four games that he came back 
Brown and Hayward were also banged up with injuries. So I know everyone had injuries in the NBA to some extent, but the Celtics really, I feel, are going to benefit from this extended time off. So just to make clear, is it doesn't give the Celtics a better chance than they would have in, in a vacuum, but rather a better chance than they would have if the season had just progressed as it normally would. But the question is, did the odds change? So what were the Celtics' odds when they were banged up? They were 16 to 1. Are we sure about that? I thought we've gone through this and there was the same mistake made, if I recall. Mackenzie, what do you got? In March, they were 20 to 1. Okay, that's close enough. So, um, what do you have, Fess? You have 16 on, in March? Second. I had 20 to 1 March 9th, 15 to 1 March 16th. Okay, well, 16th would be more pertinent. So, let's say in range, if any, it wasn't less, but it could have been a little more in range. So your theory is, hey, same team, except they're in a better situation because they were more injured than the average team, so it helps them more than the average playoff team, right? Yes. And number two, they got Brad Stevens. We think coaching and discipline is going to mean a lot. Thus, their odds seem significantly better than they would have been in the old scenario. Yes. In which they wouldn't have had home court. Uh, you know, at least, I mean, the guess is the last two rounds, they wouldn't have, or three even. Yeah, they would have been number three seed. Three seed. Yeah. So they probably would have had home court, um, or they would have had home court the first time, second time if they won, but third time, no, most likely, and finals, no, most likely. Right. So they are going from having a, a two advantages and two disadvantages, but the advantages were in series. They were clearly going to be favored. Well, I guess Sixers might have been different, but the disadvantages is the times they would have been underdogs probably. Thus, I think that's a good trade for them. Absolutely. So they might have to play the Sixers in the first round of the of the playoffs here, but they won't have to if they play Toronto in round two, they won't be, you know, having to play game seven in Toronto. Yeah. So wait, so in round two, that's interesting. I, I, I thought that through wrong. Is two plays three in round two. So in truth, they probably only have one home court then, unless Toronto got upset. Yes. Why didn't you crack me? I misheard you. Okay. Um, hmm. So it's a, even a bigger advantage for Boston that there's not home court, right? Jason Tatum, pre-All-Star break, 22 points a game. Post-All-Star break, 30. It's a big number, 30. Bill Simmons was excited about Tatum maybe being a borderline MVP. Imagine that. <laughs> Pezek's the number one gambler right now. You know, I actually cleaned that up. That, that he uh, Years ago, when you were winning your Super Contest, he talked about you right there. But it was such bad sound. I, I, I know how to clean that up now. That's fun. Bill Simmons. All right. Um, mine's simple. The Raptors. 19 to 1. I mean, you want to talk about data not convincing if the Raptors played identical to the way they have and they were considered a really good team coming in they'd be right there smidge behind Milwaukee you know probably right there with the Clippers I mean if you actually look at their play how do the Raptors stack up to the Clippers They've been the third best team. They've been much better. Not just better, but much better than the Clippers. And I get the whole, okay, well, the Clippers have had injuries. And they say, well, at some point, you got to just deliver. And I know that point is coming. But I'm saying that if, if 
they would have been perceived good to come into the season, or you know, an elite team coming this season, they would have been at the Clippers level, meaning that their stats would have been a lot better, their play would have been a lot better, but because Clippers aren't playing up to expectation, so but they're not anything like that. They're behind. I mean. The Saudis, the Rock, the Rockets are better than them. I mean, it just makes no sense, and it strikes me this isn't one of those. Oh, they're a good regular season team, because sometimes you got those teams. Would you make that? I, I know your instincts. Oh, that's interesting. So the Clippers, you know what's funny? The Clippers are forty-four and twenty, as bad as everyone's talking about, and the Raptors are forty-six and eighteen. So, huh? Clippers, wow. Only thing that stops me from I mean the Clippers have really had an advantage with all this. It's just the only thing that stops me from liking the Clippers and the, their odds have dropped, right? They were plus three sixty just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, now it's plus three twenty. Yeah. I'm seeing plus three hundred. So it's right in that range. Hmm. But here's what I know. The, we're debating the Clippers and the Raptors. You know, the Raptors only are just a little bit better, but 100 wins you 300 with the Clippers. 100 wins you 1,900 with the Raptors. And what usually stops you or a long shot from winning? It's they don't know how to win, right? Hmm. Toronto knows how. It's normally a defending takes a, champion. Normally it takes a year for them to get to like a conference finals before both they... Yeah, and champions. if you did, you're not 19 to one usually, yes. right? And that's why so few, you know, one of the, or I don't know if that's chicken the egg in this case, but in this case, we got a perfect storm. We have a defending champion that's 19 to one, but has like the third best record in the NBA, and thus they know how to win. They've proven they can win, and we're in a place where there's randomness that that that, that because of many factors we've discussed, there's going to be an unlikely. Winner. I, I like the Celtics too. I think the same law, not the same logic, but I like your logic there. But I'm getting 19 to 1. You're getting 16 to 1. I have the defending champions. I have a Celtics team that hasn't even won the East with this team. So you got to figure out how to account for the fact that I'm taking the lesser team and we should do a you got the Celtics, I got the Raptors. If neither wins, there's nothing. If one of them wins, there's something. But you just got to sweeten the pot a little bit. I'm feeling overly confident here. I'm willing to lay minus 130. Okay. You got a deal. So now the question, I like that. I, what, now, now that, well, let's set the bat. I mean, it's got to be higher because it's unlikely. So we'll do five, uh, f- to win 500 for you. And I would win then 650? Yes. All right. So the way the bet goes, if Celtics win, Fez wins a nickel. Raptors win, I win 650. If most likely neither win, no bet. Or do we want to do a last longer? I think it benefits me. Well, if it did, you wouldn't say it so much. So, well, they don't have the home court. It's heads up. So, yeah, that's interesting because let's just say there's less variance, right? Because if they play in yeah. the second round, yeah, yeah, I think. Um, oh, but we, it looks like we had. Wow. So similar bet last season. RJ had the Raptors. Fez had, but I didn't bet him even money against the Raptors and Bucks. 
No, I think there was some uh, the plus money there, uh. something like that. But they obviously won. Listen, when you've won nearly every bat against the guy, yeah. they start to blur <laughs> at some point. I can't lie. No doubt. I mean, it's like your first, you know, girlfriend, your second, you're, you know, then, you know, later it's not, you know, it's not Winnie Cooper, let's say, later. You have like Wilt Chamberlain numbers looking through your, your role. I mean, in, in regards to this, yes, <laughs> yes. Wally Balls, it's my alias. Uh, <laughs> All right, we're on. But no last longer. I think Sounds you're right. Because that would be boring. I wonder what would be the Celtics in Toronto. I mean, it wouldn't be much more in Boston, like one, maybe 150, I'm thinking. You think much more than that? Might be a little less. Okay. So you're, so we're saying, and you're giving me 130? Yeah. So how are you having some huge edge? I mean, I appreciate that you think you do, but but at worst, it would have been a bad. I'd be shocked if it was uh, even money. Oh, I yeah. Yeah. So, but you could make the point, Faz, that the Celtics are sixteen to one in a future poll, which is square, mm-hmm. right? And that's in general, you would think the Raptors' distance from the Celtics would be less in a series than it would be in a future poll because you got sharper batters. Oh, batters I here. see. Right? Yeah. So it's kind of sm- it's small here. I'm not sure. What it, maybe. I don't know. You want to make a bet? What do you think the number would be? Maybe we'll make a bet on that. Like, if you can it's get... It's a little bit higher. Than 130. Yeah, like minus 138. With no home court? So think about that. Home court's like, what, 160 usually? So you're saying Celtics, if they had home court, would be 200. You're saying if it was in Toronto... It would be Toronto, like, minus 130. 120. Minus 120, yeah. That's probably right. They would have been a small – it would have been one of those, the better team. People would have said, we're getting plus money. With the, you know, the bookies were smart. They'd make it, like, 125, so you get plus right. 105. That would that, – those Celtics would have got a lot of action there. They would have. Uh, it's good. I, I want to see that series because – you got to give that Toronto organization a lot of credit. I mean, really. And Canada was so into them. Uh, maybe that hurt. I mean, because that home court, I mean, Boston has a good home court too. But it would have been Toronto's home court. I give them a lot of credit. Okay. You think, okay, that's it. Best, but no, no, no. Three more to go, including one from Faz. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Go, fast, go. All right, NFL Week 1, taking the Green Bay Packers, plus 3.5 at Minnesota. I got to tell you, RJ, things have changed in the past few months. A couple months ago, I had Minnesota a half point better than Green Bay. Minnesota 3.5 for home field. That makes Minnesota a four-point favorite. So how can I be taking Green Bay only getting three and a half? Well, the Minnesota home field advantage, one of the best ones in the NFL. It's worth three and a half points with a crowd. I don't expect there to be much of a crowd at all. I've got to dial back that home field advantage by maybe a point. So that's going to lower the spread from four to three. And now Minnesota's Dalvin Cook, he's holding out. And there's certainly a legitimate chance he won't be playing week one. Or yeah, I think you've got to look at that. Because my understanding is, and don't take me as an authority on this, 
that the way the new agreement is, these guys like that Le'Veon Bell stuff won't happen. Oh, they'll be a big they, fine. Well, apparently it's they won't accrue the season. That mm-hmm. literally, if you're out for more than like I don't know, ten days, or it's it's a short amount that that they don't accrue the season. So in a way, they they lose a season. Um, now, Mike Florio said he doesn't think he thinks if they hold out. If they're willing to just hold out all the way, they it won't stop them. But boy, that seems like a, you know, I don't know. Because they're saying if they end up, they don't come in unless they get a deal. Effectively, they're not going to play again. Thus, the crude season doesn't matter. I don't know. But let's just say this: I think there's. I'm not saying I'm sure you're wrong. I'm just saying I wouldn't think it's so. It's not so sure that you're you're right. And the key here is I don't need Dalvin Cook to be out. I'm it's, making it's, the it's game. It's gravy. It's gravy. I'm making this line three. I'm catching three and a half on Green Bay already. And if Dalvin Cook doesn't play, it makes a good bet into a very good bet. Well, this is nice. Report from today, Wednesday. Dalvin Cook lowering his asking price from 16 million to under 14. Very kind. Now what? Correct me if I'm wrong. How many running backs make over even $10 million? There's like only three, right? I think there's six. What's the number? What do you mean you think? You have a list or you don't? Read us the list. So, Fez, finish your handicap and we'll get that list. Oh, you good? Yeah, we're good. That's All right, so give it, like, recap the key points. Yeah, so Green Bay plus three and a half. The, this line made sense. In fact, I made it four, four months ago. But two key factors. Yeah, you don't have to repeat it verbatim. Just yeah. give me the like, think and give me the key points. The home field advantage of the Vikings. Instead right. of being three and a half, it's going to go down to two to two and a half, I feel. So why hasn't the line moved? I mean, the, I mean, the market's generally moved about a point, right? The market was three and a half. Huh? And right now it is evenly split between three and a half and three. You can get plus three and a half easily. A minus one ten? Yes. Okay, so this is part of this value is it's a it's a line shopper's delight. It is. The theory is if you're trying to win, you can get a three point two five effectively, half three, half three and a half, at three and a half. Yes. Okay. So that's value. And Dalvin Cook is a free roll. Yes. Oh look, four running backs. Le'Veon Bell. So when you just so proudly say that number, I mean, how is it so wrong? That's a good question. I, I heard that Henry was getting the average of the top five, and he's getting 10, so I was kind of making assumptions that were obviously incorrect. Yeah, but Henry's on your list of four. Yeah, so it, it, it didn't work you out. You do know how mean and median works, right? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember right, that. Because right. <laughs> you were doing a calculation saying, well, if Henry's at the mean – then that must mean there's X number above him and X below him, right? So if he's get, he gets the top five average? Yeah, that's the franchise so that, tag. Yeah, so that means there'd be two above him and two below him, right? Yeah. So if anything, that logic would have went the other way. Well, when you, when you have a mind like yourself, oh, that geez. seems very obvious. <laughs> All right, Yale. All right. That's it, huh? Okay. On your pick, I, I kind of, you know... I just don't like betting against Zimmer. So how has your thinking evolved when it comes to the expectations of fans being in the stadium? About a month ago, I'm certain. You weren't, you weren't certain. How could you be? But you thought it was most likely that there wouldn't be fans the entire season, correct? Yes. But you were almost certain about the first month. 
How has that evolved? What is your current uh, premonition? I don't know if it's a premonition, but with the COVID hotspots popping up all over the country, I still feel it's— The COVID hotspots. So explain that to me. Oh, so Texas, Arizona, California have all seen spikes in COVID. Spikes. So do you have the numbers? In Texas, their number of cases reported— uh, just a couple of days ago, it was over 4,000. Yeah, but 4,000 is a number in a vacuum relative to what? They had never been above 3,000 as of the week before. Okay. So what you're saying is when everyone stayed home and literally the whole nation was shut down, they didn't go above 3,000. Now in Texas, it seems, they're French kissing at barbecues and it's 4,000. Is that a spike? That I mean, I haven't been reading this, but that feels like good news. And may, again, I'm saying this is me uh, gut feeling because it, if that's like the bad part, it seems like that the herd uh, uh, immunity comes at, you know, a pretty I mean, in theory, pretty much everyone's going to have to get it or they're going to have to be a vaccine. It'd be like the flu. Who doesn't ever get the flu? Meaning that you might not get it one year, but you're going to get it. Now, I know the vaccine's supposed to be coming. Who knows, right? We don't know. That's what. So in general, if everyone's going to get it and it's right around, you know, it's only 33% above when everyone was locked down, is that a spike? It is. Because no, compared, wrong. Compared to New Jersey and New York, Arch, no, I'm right. No, right? no, you're wrong. Trust me. Well, when I look at the New Jersey and New York numbers, the number of cases is down like 90% plus, even do, more than that. Do, I mean, you've got to understand why that is. They've cycled through. They've had so many cases, and they're still under lockdown, right? So New York is. Yes. So it's not even apples to apples. If they had the worst, they had the most people get it, New York, and they're still locked down. So, yes, it makes sense that they are past the worst of it. And they're still locked down. It's going to be lower. Texas didn't get the worst of it. And they're French kissing the barbecues. So you were wrong. But somehow you could somehow tell me with certainty when you hardly ever win an argument that I would. And it's not even an argument. It's like, can you de- continue? Debate that. I just see the number of cases. Now going, you sound like a child. Going to the highest level in California. Okay. In terms of cases diagnosed per day. And California Arizona. just got unlocked, right? Yes. So what would it do? Right? I mean, unless being locked down was meaningless, becoming unlocked is going to open up cases, right? Yeah. But the question is, is it all along the question on this was, would it cause the hospitals to be overrun? They never thought people were not going to get this. They just hoped to not have it be a rush where the people are in the hallways, you know, trying to get IVs. Now, hopefully, I hope, because I, knock on wood, haven't gotten it yet, is I hope the vaccine comes soon enough that we can, hopefully the most of the country can, or whatever number that can avoid it is maxed out. I want that to be great. But I, I tell you this, I mean, I can't, I mean, I'm the boss here. I can't dictate what everyone's doing. I mean, people, Bernie's coming in, he's giving hugs. I mean, People are, you know, the government messed up here. They made it seem so severe. It was like uh, Capone's safe in a way, though obviously people died. So a lot of older people died, but some people weren't as old. So got to respect those deaths. I do. But it's just, 
and, and, and let's be candid. If you are politically inclined, any person, you're looking at, wait a minute, on Monday, COVID is like the end of the world. And if you're out and about, you're killing everyone. And then when they decide to protest, it's like COVID doesn't matter. It's hard to take it very seriously if you're on the other political side. And I think, quite frankly, it's hard to take it seriously if you're a thinking person, right? Because you can't go. It'd be one thing to say if the news reports were saying, you know, this, this is social justice is so important. And, and, and the statement being made by the protesters is vital. But man, oh, man, this I wish, you know, we can't wish what time it was. But right off of COVID, you got to be wondering about the spread of this. Didn't hear a lot of that. In fact, I mean, Matt, you watched the news. Did you hear any of that? I've seen a little bit of it. That seven-day averages are increasing. No, no, no. I'm saying, did you hear that during the, uh, the, the biggest of the protests, when the numbers were the biggest, concerns about from the news talking about what is the, what's the ramifications? No, their scope was really myopic. So. Yeah, so, and you can see how if you're skeptical of the news, you would say, wait a minute, one day it's life and death, the next day it doesn't merit a mention. Exactly. So I, th I think in general people are just, I think people are probably going to die from being, like literally mathematically it will almost certainly happen, is they rejecting the, the, the tone and tenor of this the whole time effectively. Now in hindsight, they're going to say F this, and that's going to cause like a rejection of social distancing mm -hmm. as a political statement, which I'm not interested in that, anyone. So, I mean, Bernie seems to be. He just wants to hug. I mean, he, maybe Bernie's <laughs> not getting enough human touch. I don't know. I love Bernie, right? He's, 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 a, he's a rare dude. He, he hosts the Straight Out of Vegas on the weekend edition, 11 o'clock Pacific on Fox. Uh, I... I how does this sound? I don't want to bet on this because it's health-related um, in life and death. But I'm going to predict that what we're going to see is probably, you know, it might be a little bit tick up. And we let's say taxes. I, I got a good feel of taxes just because I understand that mentality. I think you might have a little, you know, I'd, I'd say not more than 5000 next week. And then I think it might be five the next. And it starts to drop, and which is it, this is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a normal, like how that's the way people get the flu, right? And then the drop happens because you're moving towards less and less. Uh, more and more people have the quote unquote immunity, and that's again some to some degree speculation, you know. But we'll see. And the people who are out and about and most active probably are more likely to have the immunity as, as well, right? Well, you only. I mean, well, first off, there are, some, and again, this is just my basic reading, but there are some people who seem to be asymptomatic, whereas they get it and they don't even know it. So those, I would think, are better immune system. Maybe it's just random. Like It was like the plan of the apes. Like either you're immune to it or, you're, you know, or you don't have the symptoms or you do. But I think that the people, obviously, the more contact you have, the better chance you're going to get it. So your question was what? The people out and about, how did it connect? I'm well, I think that the people who have been out and about and haven't been socially distancing are, are likely, much more likely to have, have caught in it and not be aware of it. Caught in it? Caught it and not be aware. <laughs> I'm just. Did you caught in it? That fish? <laughs> so uh, they have the immunity now. Yeah, but the theory is that even in Texas, people, when it was life and death, were locked down. I mean, they weren't taking it as seriously, but 
listen, in hindsight, the, the crash, I mean, anyone that, that says this, and again, the funny thing is the typical Trump basher is going to say he was not aggressive enough. I mean, it feels like to me the debate is, now, could there have been something done in February that we don't, you know, it's hard to see which of the, you know, maybe there was a path that there was consensus scientifically, because it's important to realize it's hard to follow science if there's no consensus, right? Because what science are you going to follow? So I don't know enough to know was there a consensus early enough that if you would have done that, but... Boy, the idea of looking back and saying the fault was not following these models when the models seem to be in a from a different universe. I'm not saying there was a better answer, but the idea of and again, I think this is what the left struggle or what people struggle with when they engage with the left is the sanctimony, right? The idea that we've got all the answers, and then time and time again they don't, but somehow that just is Ranger. What's the line from Blade Runner? Tears in the rain or something? Yeah, at the end. Yeah. Tears that will be lost in the rain. There you go. Fez knows the line. That surprises me. You're a Blade Runner fan? No. How do you know that then? I read it was like one of the top ten movie quotes of all time. So you like you're like an alien that comes down and tries to read the books on culture to try to like assimilate. <laughs> yeah. Like who else is reading the top like where did you read that at? It's like twenty years ago. And you remember that line? Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. So here's the verbatim quote. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. Time to die. So actually, my part was verbatim correct. Like tears in the rain. And yours wasn't. Hmm. <laughs> it's the moment. Lost in time. <laughs> We're living it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fez, your mic's off. Now, we'll, you're going to have to, you, you and Mackenzie's going to have to wrap it up. So we got, here's what we're going to do. I wouldn't bet Fez is pick this rig. I'm just saying. You can't hear me right now. We got Mackenzie. Oh, no, not Mackenzie. God. We got. <laughs> no, actually, he's doing a good job. Right? That's the funny thing. When you can bust balls, it means he's doing a good job. But he might aggravate in the moment. <laughs> we got the hitman. We got Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave's already planning on coming out for like a week or two before football, do a lot of videos, be on the pod live. Maddie Holt was here today. I think we'll have some exciting stuff to talk about. Maddie's work, I mean, his, give this guy credit, man. He works. I mean, he's a worker. I mean, people don't, you know, running a business. I'm not saying that if you don't run a business, you don't work hard, but there is that sense of, you know, you're the answer, and it could be midnight, it could be whatever, especially when it's a 24-hour kind of internet deal. So I respect, and I think he's, had, he's having a lot of success. We'll get an update when he comes in. But we got two, and then Mackenzie and Fez. What, just say this, we'll tease it. What's the hour count right now, Mackenzie? 3.5. Three and a half, some would say. Three and a half in, yeah. Three and a half into six. So that's more, wait, hold on. I think that's more than half. Yeah. How you feeling, Faz? Disappointed. So, in a way, this was almost like a masterful, like, I got a handicap that you thought would be irrelevant. But it looks like, in hindsight, it was important. Yes. Because even if you restarted this, 
Now, the fact that if you could wipe your brain, because your knowledge of him, I, th- I think every hand you play gives you a, sl- you know, a little bit more. He's, you're learning more from it than he is, but not at a fast enough pace. What would you put? I mean, you guys would give all the details. What would you put the odds at right now? You know, I got to be honest. I think I'd be the underdog. I think I massively underestimated the six-hour clock ticking, and here's why, RJ. It's going to take me out of my game. I am a <laughs> uh, a guy that when I feel I'm the better player, keep the fl- keep keep the pot small, outplay my opponent post flop. Well, how can I do that playing one two when I got to capture a hundred big blinds not once but twice in now two and a half hours? Think of it like this, Faz. Think of it. Listen closely to this. And yeah. RJ, we trust you. What's up, money. Money. Them, baby? Here we go. Let's get it. Tuition paid. Tuition paid, baby. You learned something. But you don't seem to learn button heads with so me. I got, it's like I got a massive chip lead, 308 to 92, I think it is. So, Mackenzie, at this point, I think your move here, and I haven't given you any advice, have I? Nope. I think your move here is you, you literally only play like the top. And this is not GTO. I haven't thought this through. But I think you go into the books and you find the top 20% of hands. So one-fifth of the time, you're going to go over the top him. He'll raise every time. So four out of five. And listen, you can look at your hand and decide. I mean, you don't, listen, we don't want you malingering. <laughs> but because that's not – it's just not in the spirit of it. Agree. But you got to consider your hand. So you get four out of five. You know, your raise would have to be what? See, that's interesting. We'll set by GTO. I'm going to get involved at this point. We'll set the GTO based on his raising numbers. I mean, it just will be a, ma- a simple mathematical equation, I think, right? Yeah. So if he's going 3x, we do a certain amount. If he does 5x, so we'll be optimized. And then we're going to have a bluffing frequency in there. I mean, at this point, we can go pure, pure GTO, I think, right? Sure, and I'm going to have to go to five times at least for my yeah, race Whatever house. it is, at we'll, least. we'll just adjust for it. Yeah. So re- I don't think you can even win at this point. Oh, I could Because, I mean, have to get how lucky. long is it going to take you, though? At this point, in theory, it's going to almost be like you're going to have a small edge per hand, but not much. could shove every hand. Well, that would be even worse for you because – I, I mean, we would. Just, I mean, in theory, it's only costing us a blind every time, and then when we get a hand that's in the, let's say, I don't know, top quarter, top fifth, and then, then call you and be a big favorite at that yeah, point. Yeah, you're gonna have to win two of them to. to no, win but the then first once session. we win, but but here's the thing. Oh. Once we win the first. That's one, a good point. It's then over you can at that point. Back. You're yeah, right. Now we're back to the same strategy. You're right. Uh huh. I don't know if you can lose it. I mean, I've somehow arranged something where you've been getting your butt whipped, and it's almost you can't lose. You somehow humbled both of us in the same game. <laughs> I mean, Fez has a look on his face right now of pure consternation. My, my wife asked me, how, how are you doing with your chip count? And I told her, irre- ir- irrelevant. I mean, the, And then I said, I'm not home right now. You know, in persuasion, they have something called the double bind. Look it up. <laughs> This might have been my best performance, actually. And I hardly even thought about it. <laughs> the funny thing is you wanted eight hours. 
And I knew that was going to be key. And you gave away those two it hours. It would be a totally different yeah. conversation. We were, if I had four and a half hours left and I would, I'd, yeah. yeah. You know what's funny? I'm pissed. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I'm pissed. I'm not pissed at Mackenzie. I'm not pissed at RJ. I am pissed at myself. That's what I do to people. This is the classic freaking overconfidence. I know I'm a far superior poker player to Mackenzie. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's all about setting the props. It, it is. And you know what's funny? Mm. You know where I got this from? Kasparov Karpov in 80, uh, no, it was 89. So they play, I think they played half the games in chess. They played half the games in France, half the games in New York. And this is fascinating to read about. So, you know, Kasparov beat him, beat him, beat him. But in truth, there was a couple, like two of the time. well, the first time in 85 it went, it was one of the most amazing things because they had a race to six. It was the last time there was yeah. a race to six. And I think, yeah, Karpov, who was like the Russian stooge type, he was part of the communism and Kasparov was the new guy. But he was young. I mean, Karpov was going to play Fisher in 75. And a lot of people think in hindsight, Karpov at the time was strong, that he was stronger than Fisher in 72. Now, how much better Fisher could have gotten, we never, we'll never know. But this was 85. So, you know, he was like 33, 30. So he was still in his prime for chess, but getting to the end of it. And... He got up 5-0. And then Kasparov just kept playing for draws, playing for draws, trying to gain strength, trying to gain like confidence because he was he was like 20 years old. So it was a mm. and he finally won one, won a second, won a third pretty quick. And five three, they brought the doctors in. And you had to win six yeah. to win. So yeah. the draws didn't count a half. Exactly. They counted zero. It's not like 24 games. Or, yeah. So at that point, it was like, okay, Kasparov uh, would have to win three and only three to one still. But literally, the Russians came in and fixed it and said, we're going to suspend this because mm. they thought he was like, he was falling off a cliff. And then they played again and he beat him. You know, so Kasparov won. But then they played, I think it was the next follow up. And Karpov, or I'm sorry, Kasparov needed, so the champion at the time, the young guy, needed a win in game 24. If you're like in win, winning game 24, it, it's almost, I mean, it's not almost impossible. It's a long shot, right? In a 24-game tournament, there might be, what, five or six wins or losses? Yeah. And now, I mean, at that level. Right, yes. So just right off, have, if you're going to win half the time and lose half the time, but only have, let's say, six or one out of four. So it's one out of eight at that point, right? If you just do the back of the napkin. But here's the key. Is Kasparov say or um, Kasparov said I thought about it and I said there's two ways to go about this. One is to play reckless, no, nothing to lose. He goes, that's what he's waiting for. But the question is going to become if he has a decision of this move or that move, and this move is one twentieth of a pawn better, but it extends the game. This move lends you towards a draw position, but it's a little bit weaker. That as time passed, he would start to have so many doubts about the way he should play. Should he play optimal or should he play for the draw? Because if he plays optimal, then the fact that Kasparov 
wasn't playing wild meant that it was just a normal game. That there wasn't the edge because really the edge goes to the t- guy that doesn't need to win if the other guy plays wild because wild's not good chance. But if the other guy just plays, it, the guy just with the tries lead to gain plays a scared, little. Just plays scared, almost like being on the bubble in a poker tournament. How many times, RJ, yeah. have you played scared well, remember, on the bubble? I, I don't play tournaments, but I understand the get. Yeah, where, where literally you wind up bubbling out or close to it, and you're like, gosh darn, I folded that ace queen to that mid position raise. How could I do that? Convinced I was very likely to make the money, and that didn't happen. So just quickly, almost like a human supercomputer, when we were negotiating this, I went back to my vast readings, came up with that, and said, huh, Fez is the type to doubt himself. And even it wasn't even explicit thoughts as much as um, intuition led me to a situation that would have you doubting yourself. And because do you play optimally or do you play to, you know, for speed in this case, you needed resolution. Oh, I, now I got to play like a well, reckless, I understand, but reckless you, madman. You but were I, thinking about that, though, like at, at like an hour and a half, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, but it I was didn't. Early. And, and I, I ramped it up on my bet sizing and on my raises where yeah, I the, didn't enough. I'm, reg- I'm, I'm regretting. I had, I had a coin flip opportunity. Mackenzie shoved, and I didn't call with a king queen, and that would have been a race, and I should have I taken him up onto it after two hours. Do you see the genius of this? Is that yep. no matter what you do, you're going to question it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that, uh, that's so amazing, the history of chess, because if he would have lost there, he would have been... I mean, Kasparov became a real political force. Again, you know, he still is. He writes op-ads in the U.S., but he's really against Putin. But he would have been a blip on the radar, for, you know, a champion for three years or whatever. He might have won it again, but you never know. The Russians probably weren't going to give him another... You know, they would have done everything to stop him, even though he was Russian. Reading is good, kids. That's all I'll say. Reading is good. Fez doesn't like to read. Doesn't make money reading. Well, you don't make money that day. But when we get our $1,000, Mackenzie, yeah. we should donate 100 to a book, like some kind of book drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just think about that yours. kid out there. That, that If they read that one Kasparov book, they'll be a chess master. Mm, probably not. But they will be less <laughs> ignorant. Exactly. If they read anything except Twitter or Instagram. All right. We'll hear more of the aftermath of these guys. It's kind of a post-show. What I would suggest is after these best bets, listen for like as long as you can and just thank Art. That Art when RJ's here, just be so thankful. Like sometimes I duck out just so you can appreciate me. All right, first up, the Hitman, then Diamond Dave. Best bet, Jalen Rieger, under 725 receiving yards, and I like it all the way down to 650. We continue to fade rookie-wide receivers this season who will have limited reps to learn their team's offenses. Eagles head coach Doug Peterson openly said that Rieger will learn only one position in training camp due to COVID-19, and that is the Z position, which is currently held by Deshaun Jackson. It's likely going to take a Jackson injury just for Rieger to get much playing time early in the season. Plus, the Eagles also committed to bringing back Alshon Jeffrey this season, which means Rieger will open the year likely no better than third on the depth chart. Why is that so important? The Eagles led the NFL last year in 12 personnel groups, which is two wide receivers, two tight end sets, which means that the third receiver doesn't play that much for this team. Best bet, Jalen Rieger, under 725 receiving yards. 
I like about the Browns minus 160 to miss the playoffs. Let's face facts. The Ravens overachieved last season, but they're obviously going to be a tough out again. Steelers will be improved with Ben. If they can go 8-8 eight and eight with Hodges and Rudolph, they're better. Bengals will be better than 2-14. and 14. And in the division, the Browns were 2-6 and six last year. And people are talking about their offense this year and yada, yada, yada. But their defense I worry about. Six times last year, they gave up more than 30 points. They open at Baltimore. Then on a short week Thursday, they got the Bengals. If they don't start well, I can see desperation in their schedule. Overall, it's not difficult. And they could be a nine-win team if all goes well, but that won't be enough. They were 26th in turnover margin and the 29th most penalized team last year. I just see too many things that need fixing for them to go to the next level. So I bet the Browns minus 160 to miss the playoffs. All right. Fez, now here's the thing. You mentioned that one hand where it was a race and you folded. Wouldn't you have said the exact opposite thing if you called? I had Jacks. You had King Queen. It's a race. If you would have called and lost, which you would have been a favorite to do, 54%, I think, if I'm right, you would have been like, oh, the only reason I called was because of the clock. Clearly, I'm better. I just had to, you know, play to my handicap. And the reason you won was yada, yada, yada. Am I right? Absolutely. And you, you bring <laughs> up a great point, Mackenzie, that I uh, I recognize that I've got to be much more aggressive. i got to win this thing in six hours. But um, making questionable calls just goes so against my nature also. And, I mean, i got to be honest. I have no problem calling with the 2-7 when I'm getting plus 250 on the pot odds. So when I say a questionable call, I don't mind being an underdog necessarily But uh, when I'm getting the right pot odds. But it's really hard for me to make be an underdog and call something when the pot's really small and all of a sudden you shove on me and I'm getting like plus 120 and I'm thinking to myself – Wow, I'm either crushed or I'm racing. That's a difficult, difficult call to make because you flip over ace-queen if I call with king-queen, and that's just a disaster. And frankly, that's one of the edges pros have in the tournaments when they dominate an opponent and get get it in good on a hand like that. And probably the number one thing I see is a guy raises with ace-queen, say, under the gun, and someone shoves on him, and the ace-queen will call, and it's like, what? What hand can you possibly be ahead of? Right. Anyone that's paying attention, if you're a tight player and you're raising under the gun, what am I going to re-raise with? Well, it's going to be ace-king, queens, kings, and aces. That is my range. Doyle Brunson once said he would never play ace-queen. He just didn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there was exceptions, but that, that's what he was saying. I don't think Doyle ever said that. I want to see that. Re- read. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm you, not you super read, literate, you sh- but it was in the... It was in the uh, it was in the Super System, his famous book. He said, I don't know if he said he will never play it, but he said, ace-queen is not my hand. It's a trouble hand. You're always going to get in with the worst with ace-queen. But let me ask you this. Well, no, I got yeah. to come over the top. You're perf- if you got ace-queen in position, you're fine. I think Doyle had to have been alluding to the fact that ace-queen's a real trouble hand getting involved in, in an early position. Right, right, exactly. I mean, obviously, ace, queen, and heads up, uh, not a bad hand to have. You know, and this, I want to relay a hand I had in the main event like 12 years ago. And by the way, I did look it up. I got um, uh, four World Series of Poker caches on, on, in a different events. Never, never cashed in the main event. Did get two free entries, free rolls, and I didn't cash. But so you're saying you're one of the world's premier poker players, and I'm about to beat you in this Not in at this all. I'm just saying I've, I do have some experience with it because I played in – Oh, gosh, maybe about eight World Series of Poker events. It's not like I eight played them me. in a bunch. Um, I, I I really misplayed this hand because I had ace-queen, and I remember uh, I was in the big blind, the small blind raised, and I re-raised, and we had big stacks, and then he re-raised me. And I got to tell you, and he was he was a very aggressive European player. I would have 
absolutely just shoved on him today. But back then I wasn't experienced enough, and I was like, oh, I only have ace-queen, and ace-queen is a trouble hand that people get in trouble. Well, they don't get in trouble when it's a, um, a small blind, big blind confrontation against a European maniac. Ace-queen may as well be the stone-cold nuts in that circumstance. I think it's cool how you relate all these sports uh, betting terminologies into poker. I never really merged the two as my two loves when I first got to Vegas. But, yeah, plus 250 in this spot, plus 120 in this spot. It's cool. I, c I can see why you're good at this stuff. Yeah, and, you know, as, as far as poker, you know, let me ask you, Mackenzie, are there any, is, is there any part of the play and what's gone on? We've, we've been at it for three and a half hours. You haven't gotten to see all my cards, obviously, but any observations, things you're going to try to take advantage of the last two and a half hours? Well, you had one, and maybe on the video that we'll send out, it'll, be, it'll feature, you had one incredible raise, and I realized that I was weak, where you raised five, I raised 20, we get to, and you called, we get to the flop, and I could tell it was just perfunctory, the way I was pulling my chips and everything, and you took advantage, you re-raised me, and then you flipped over your king high, which, you know, I would have beat with my ace high, but just that, uh, just that you're, you're, you're showing so much of your personality and what your feelings when you, every time you... You know, every little motion you make, I think Daniel Negrano is the one that said, everything that happens at a poker table is information. I think you're a little more keen on get, gathering that information than I am. And I'm excited to learn from you as I take $1,000 out of your pocket. <laughs> and by the way, if you haven't seen some of Negrano's videos, are quite, Negrano and, and Doug Polk are probably two of my favorites. And uh, Negrano has a great ad. You know that an ad is good for something where you don't just, it says, you know, skip ad after five seconds. And I actually have watched that Negrano ad where he's like, when you're playing serious poker, you, you, you got to pay attention to what you're doing. You can't be like, be on your cell phone, eating a sandwich, talking to the guy next to you. Right, you right. got to focus. That's, that's what you're refer, referring to, right? Uh, I, I, a different ad. I think it was, it might have been the same ad, actually. Masterclass, right? Well, we're, we're promoting yes. this to the hell out of this guy. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite, I got to tell you, like, like Doug Polk and some of his videos, I find him to be absolutely hilarious and really good information. One, you know, the one piece of advice that uh, Polk gave that really, like, holds true is that once, you, once you're bluffing at a pot on the turn, it's rarely wrong. If you're thinking about bluffing in the river, it's rarely wrong to bluff again. And the idea it's so true. Mo it's so so true. often someone makes a crying call, and I know Doyle and the like writes, hey, if you're going to call on the turn, you're going to call on the river. But you know what my experience has been? When I call on the turn and he bets again on the, on the river, I lose if I right. call again because they have it. They usually, a lot of players just simply give up. They'll fire, you know, that barrel that's, or that second barrel on the turn. But that just, just to actually pot it on the river, that is a difficult bluff to make when the pot's 100 and bluff 100 versus on the turn to go ahead and, you know, put in a $45 bet. It's a lot like sports betting. The difficult play to make, often correct. Fire on the river, boys and you, girls out there. You know, a couple things, and probably it's going to cost me the match with Mackenzie. But if Ooh, you're ever, so. if you're ever heads up, and there's like four consecutive cards to a straight low cards, or if there's like four of one suit on the board that comes on the river, that's your pot. You you bet you bet the pot, and you put your opponent to the decision because it is the rare man that doesn't have a heart when he sees four hearts on that yep. board that can one call you with a two pair, or two, re-raise you and try to steal that pot back from you. Well, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it.
appreciate all the lessons along the way, Fez, and I'll appreciate it even more when I get paid. How do you feel? Have you ever paid someone that's 20 years younger than you, $1,000? I'm just curious. I was going to say, I pay RJ all the time, and so... <laughs> No, of course. As I've gotten older and older, you know, I'm 56, so it's it certainly happens. Yeah, the pool is larger now. You know, I, I do want to say to people that poker is a really great way to, even if, you, even if you're an advantage player in other areas like blackjack or sports betting, I think it makes a lot of sense to learn to play poker, and here's why. Look no further than sports right now. Well, unless you're a, a table tennis expert in Russia and other parts of the world it's hard to make a lot of money betting sports i guess you can bet golf now but um if you can go out you can still go out well bad example maybe because you can't play live poker but you could still play online poker there's plenty of action at the world series of poker online right now so being um knowing different games and different ways to win as a professional gambler is key and i've even known poker players oh my buddy jared is like a tremendous player in all aspects of games and mixed games and he always told me he's like hey if i know how to play games crazy games even like open face chinese you never know when that might be the one loosest best game in the casino if i'm an if i'm an expert at five games oma hold'em and several others that's going to give me the ability to hand pick the game where i have the biggest edge i believe it was the great wu-tang clan that said you got to diversify your bonds ladies and gentlemen you got to diversify your bonds. All right. And we bonded late into the night here, Wednesday night. You've got all our best bets. You've got our poker update. I'm going to finish. I'm going to ask McKenzie, give me a line on who's going to win this match right now. No vague line. You're the favorite. What would you make yourself? Well, RJ pretty much said I can't lose. So that makes me incredibly nervous. But I do honestly think I'm probably about a 200 minus 200 favorite. Minus 200 take back plus 200. Very interesting. I don't disagree, and uh, all I can say is um, ruthless aggression. What was the wrestling match? One of you two guys probably know this one. Um, what was the guy that was going up against Kurt Angle, and they introduced him for the first time, and Kurt Angle says, what makes you think you've got a chance to beat me, rookie? And um, the uh, he became a superstar, too. I can't, re- I can't remember the name of the, of the wrestler he was going up against. He says, ruthless aggression, and he's takes a cheap shot at Angle and just goes after him. Best not miss if you come at the king, right? <laughs> I don't remember that one wrestling match, but I get the concept. No, it was the guy that wore, like, the knickers, like the jeans knickers. I, you know, the jeans, the shorts down to his knees was like his, he wore that all the time. What is that guy's name? He's, like, a top 20 wrestler of all time. John Cena? John Cena! I, I just looked up wrestling jeans WWE. John Cena was the rookie wrestler that challenged Kurt Angle. Ultimately, Kurt Angle did win a hotly contested battle. And before that night, I don't think anyone knew who John Cena was. He later went on to become not just a wrestling superstar, but uh, a movie star as well. So which one are you, John Cena or Kurt Angle? I have to be John Cena. I got to do ruthless aggression. And let's face it, I still have my hair. (laughs) Sorry, Kurt Angle. For the dozens of you still listening out there, we appreciate it. Check out our video of this poker tournament. It's been exciting. It's been fun. And we'll see you next week.